With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live. Hello, this is uh, Michael Adams, and it's nothing but the truth. My man's journey to find it. And uh, found it in the Word of God and my Lord Savior Jesus Christ. And to... Today we have uh, another special episode. Uh, this is episode five now of After- Afternoons with Viz. And uh, we have Keith Hansen here, Visigoth, a.k.a. Visigoth, and uh, Jim Coaster. And um, Jim has a, uh, a blog um, Tuesday, Tuesday morning in September. And also has a DVD for sale as well. Also, you can find them on Facebook. Um, this should be a very interesting show. We're going to go back in time and remember 9-11 and what actually did happen. And with that, Keith and Jim, thank you for joining me. And I will hand it over to you, Keith. All right. Uh, Jim, um, do you ever even remember who, contact, who contacted whom? In the very, very beginning, did you get a hold of me? I think that was the case, wasn't it? I, you know, we had a friend. We had a we had a mutual friend, I believe. That's right. Uh, it, that's right. Yeah. That hooked us up. All right, now, now, folks, here's the deal. I mean, for the no planers, I'm going to tell you right off the bat, this is going to fly in the face of what you believe. And I'm not dealing with it right now. We'll do it later. If you're going to send any questions in, I'm not going to treat it until the end. Here's the point. There was video there that was not fake with. And Jim, in Jersey City at the time, and he'll set up why he was there and what was going on, was directly across from the towers. On September 11, 2001, he was convalescing from a surgery. It's a beautiful day, as we all remember, because I was in Jersey at that same time. And he brought his video camera with him just to, to go down and visit some friends. And the whole idea was that he was going to watch him. <clears throat> he was going to video him making breakfast. <clears throat> and then things started to get very serious. So Jim was in a position at that time with his camera to take a look at what was going on. I won't say anything more now, but that's why, one, he had the video camera out, and two, he he was alerted and across the river from the first strike. And then, like everyone else in that area, was wondering if there was going to be a second strike, which, which is why a lot of video was trained on the second tower. Now, I'll say no more than that, but Jim, thank you for coming on. And pick it up, you know, as you were getting ready, without knowing it, to video across the river and what you probably thought was going to be an an imminent second strike. Uh, Yes, Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me on, Keith, and thank you, Michael. I really appreciate this. It's a privilege and an honor to to be here today with you. Um, You want me to set it up, uh, Keith, right right then when when we heard, when we were having breakfast and we heard the yes. first news. And the reason okay. this is key, and, and I, I'm getting out of here, I'm not going to step on what you're doing. The reason this is key, and you made me think about this when we talked a little while ago, there was no radio or TV on in the apartment of your friends to whom you, uh, you visited, and 
you've got a notification and you're going to pick it up there. But the deal is, you through this whole time had not listened to a radio or a TV broadcast, correct? Uh, we hadn't listened to anything. Uh, we were having breakfast. I was making a little, it was a little project, a uh, short film, like you'd mentioned, and keeping my hand in the creative process of what I was doing. And anyway, um, one of the friends, there's two two friends, I'm down, I'm down at the, uh, an apartment, the one gentleman's name is uh, Hussein Karami, and the other one, uh, Shiva, I don't know Shiva's last name, but Shiva's uh, East Indian, and uh, uh, Hussein Karami is uh, Iranian-American, Sunni, a Sunni Muslim. But anyway, uh, Shiva leaves out to go to work, and this is right around 8.30. And he, he leaves out, and, and then, you know, when the... Uh, you know, the, the first, uh, the North Tower was struck, uh, that was at 846. We got a call right then soon after from Shiva because he was out there in his car. And he, he, I don't know how he got to a phone. I don't know if he had a cell phone. I, I don't know. I don't know what he was using to call from. But he called us. I believe he heard, he was listening to, you know, the news also on his car radio. And he was also looking at the North Tower, you know, now smoking. And uh, he told us that, you know, something had happened, maybe a Cessna a small plane they were saying it had uh, accidentally flown into the North Tower. All right, so and that is, now I, I'll tell folks that you gifted me with the original VHS from which you made the DVD. So there's things on it that I remember that I'm not sure whether it's on the DVD or not. But yes, sir. what I do remember is you being notified by Washiva, correct, you said? Yes, sir. Who said, that one of the towers has been hit. What I want to know from you at that time, was did Shiva say that it did not look like, or it was being said on the media that it did not look like a 747, or was there nothing said at all? He did say to Hussein, because Hussein was relaying everything to me. I couldn't hear the telephone conversation. Hussein then said, he said Shiva said that it didn't look like it was a small plane. It couldn't have been a small plane. Oh, as it couldn't what, have been a small plane. Okay, I got you. But, uh, but that was coming yeah. from the media. Yes, he, the feed that he was getting from the media was okay. that they, they thought it was a small plane. Right. The reason uh, they thought it was a small plane or they said it couldn't be a small plane? You know, they said they, they were speculating that it might have been a small plane. Okay. But then by the size of the size of what the damage, they were also, you know, you know conjecturing that it wasn't, you right. know. Th this is interesting, and again, Stay with your thought, but this, this moment can't be lost. The very first reportage of any event is probably the most accurate, and if it is, it will not ever be shown after the spin masters get to it. So you could have had conflicting accounts that media reporters might have been getting on the phone, on the scene, whatever, and some of them might have said it didn't look like a 747. Others might have said, well, it had to be. Look at the, look at the, the gash in the side of the building. Now, remember, this is the north side, which is not what we, any of us saw all that much. Um, but, but the thing is, is that people were saying about the one that you captured that it did not look like a commercial 747. You also have the CNN worker who was downtown and watched the hit and called into CNN, which you'll probably never hear again, and said that was no commercial airliner. It's nothing like I've ever seen. So... So this is all starting to percolate now about the first hit. And so that's how much information you got. So you were probably, I mean, were you confused at the time or just dismissed it as nobody really knows what it was? 
Yeah, that's that's how I felt about it. Um, I just, I just, you know, I was like, uh, well, I, I, we just have to move now and go look and see what's going on and uh, see for ourselves what it looks like. And that's when uh, Hussein and I both moved up to my apartment, which was on the fourth floor of a four-story walk-up facing, you know, the cityscape, you know, of Manhattan. And then I went went out on the fire escape and started the tape right, you know, at right before the uh, South Tower was struck. All right. Did you ever go to the roof? I went to the roof after the for after the South Tower went down. I climbed up on the on the roof and I was up there until the and the North Tower went down. You know, I I, I taped all of that as well. And then and then I uh, I was going to set up the camera just to go ahead and capture the atmosphere of that, you know what I mean, for as long as it would. And it only lasted a few minutes. My batteries went dead within a few minutes after after the second collapse. All right, so when you captured the second hit, that in the South Tower from the south side, you were on the fire escape. I was, uh, on. The, yes, I captured the hit on, right on the fire escape, right outside my window of my apartment. Now, did you have the, the uh, camera on a tripod? Uh, no, Keith, I, it was handheld the whole time. All right, okay. Uh, one of the reasons I say that is because, and I don't want to let the cat out of the bag too soon in a sense, that's probably a poor choice of words, but let me just ask you at this juncture, my take from watching both the DVD and the original raw footage was that your first inclination that another plane was in the area, you heard it before you saw it. Is that correct or am I wrong about that? I, I believe that's what happened because I was I was uh, cropped in on the towers, and then I pulled back. And the the reason why I pulled back, I must have heard. heard I must have heard heard it. You know, I I must have or I wouldn't have pulled back. You know the way that it looks when I pull back and capture it quite a distance out from when it uh, from the towers. All right, and the reason that's important was because he had the camera a little bit more zoomed in locally rather than pulling it back for the full panorama. And when you you watch the uh, the DVD or the video, whatever, um, you hear, you also hear, along with Jim, an en- engine's coming across. I mean, you can hear the engines before you see the plane, and it seemed to me that first you heard it, you turned, caught a look at it, and then you went ahead and pinned it to zoom back out. Yes. Now, one of the things that ticks me off about the no-planers is that their biggest criticism was, well, you mean the miracle zoom? And, you know, that's just garbage talk, because how long does it take anybody to go from either zoom in to zoom out or zoom out to zoom in. If you pin it, it takes about a second and a half. That's it. What do you mean right. miracle zoom? There's nothing extra special about that. And that's one of the bogus things that they laid on you, which is when you were on with me with that idiot Ace Bailey, whatever, <laughs> Barker or whatever his name is. Right. That's, that's the yeah. first thing he hit you with. And I'm like, you know, dude, you are so bogus. This is what you got. You're bringing this to the table. And I threw him off. And by the way, if you want to nickname yourself Ace, you either better be a very bad dude in a motorcycle club, or you better be in Kiss. So, I mean, (laughs) you're a jerk already for calling yourself Ace, because you probably would get beat up a lot. So anyway, and then he went ahead and faked his his suicide. Oh, man, what a a mess he was. And of course, he was at Fetzer's entourage, so you got to figure he was needed a checkup from the neck up. So be that as it may, we got that down. All right, now. Um, if, if I can jump back in now, Michael, I, you know, I'm, I don't want to step on you. Is there something that's in your mind that you'd like to ask Jim? Because, I mean, otherwise we'll keep going. Oh, you keep going, but at some point I want to talk to him a little bit about his, uh, what he was experiencing. Um, 
emotionally and also sure. with his his wife <laughs> being there in midtown Manhattan. That must have been quite a ordeal to go through. First of all, the shock, because I remember, you know, what I, what I was doing that day, I was uh, in the middle of designing a nature trail and, uh, and, and building some retaining walls and uh, everything stopped. Yeah. Everything stopped at that moment. And I can just imagine what it must have been like having your, your, your loved one, your spouse, you know, your wife in the midst of that. I would have been freaking out big mm. time. <laughs> well, okay. yeah. Now that's a good point. Now let's uh, let everybody frame this up. For, I mean, where Jim is at now, he has a wife that is working in Midtown Manhattan, and she's in proximity to the Empire State Building. And if you're looking at the skyline of New York, the three biggest hit me if you can buildings were the Trade Towers, the North and South Tower, and the Empire State Building. After that, you could say the Citibank and Chrysler, but those are the three that we're begging to be hit. And the reason I say that is I grew up across from those towers from 1960 to when I left in, what, 93. I watched those towers get built, and as kids, we were looking at the towers at the south end of Manhattan saying, it, it was almost like, a, a, was it a Christmas story about you shoot your eye out, kid? We were looking at the towers going, somebody's going to fly a plane into that. <laughs> I mean, it was in the psyche in the whole area that that could happen because it almost begged for somebody to do it, of course, they wouldn't be in their right mind. The, the Empire State Building had been hit in the late 40s. That was a mistake. Military plane comes in and hits it. So that had already gotten struck, but it was never necessarily the object that you would go after. Now with the two South, the south Towers, I'm sorry, the two towers at the south end of Manhattan, they were told in the Empire State Building, they were right out there with a very low landscape around it. Even WTC-7 didn't compete with it. And we all thought, someday, somebody's going to do that. And hence, when it happened, I mean, I remember when the building was bombed in, what was that, 92 or February 93? One of the towers had a truck explosive from underneath. And I was driving on Route 80, heading toward the New York skyline. I'm seeing smoke come out of one of the towers. My friend and I said, damn, they threw a plane into it, finally. What it was, was... It was the smoke from down below finding its way through all the shafts and the ducts and the towers and streaming out one of the towers. So whether that was 92 or 93 or whatever it was, you know, that was what we thought would happen. Of course, there's an attempt there to try to drop one of the towers. So it wasn't like it wasn't out of the public uh, subconscious, if you will, that it might happen again. So let me just throw that out there. But, but now, Jim, getting back to you, you're sweating it because you have a wife in Midtown. Are you panning up and down, wondering if what what the next building might be, if this thing is a full-fledged attack in America? Yeah, that's a good point, Keith. That's another reason why I would never even have considered using a tripod, because I'm on the phone with my wife. She's, she's there two blocks from the Empire State Building. I can see the Empire State Building. I can see the towers. I got, the, I got a full panoramic, and I, that's exactly what I'm using the camera for, you know, too. I'm talking to her. I'm like, trying to get her to get out of the city because I know that everything's going to be shut down. The, the tunnels, the bridges. I, I didn't even think the New York waterway. That's how they ended up, uh, she ended up getting home. I met her in Hoboken 5.30 that afternoon. They, she got across the river. But uh, that's that's exactly what it, that camera was was a tool as well for me. All right, now you said she got across the river, which means that she got one of the ferries and they could not use the tubes that went from, ha- the path tubes that went from Hoboken to 
the towers, because obviously the towers were in disarray. Yes. Okay, so she came across on a ferry, and it's interesting because, I don't know, I don't know if that was in a DVD or not, but I know you went, da- did you go down here in a bicycle? Yeah, I, I, I left, that's all in the Chronicle, that, it's all part of that, you okay. know, and uh, I, I actually was fortunate uh, that I got into a relief station, and was, I got ordered out of it, you know what I mean, there was somebody there on a megaphone that ordered me and a news, somebody from one of the uh who knows, NBC, ABC, I don't know, CNN, they were in there, but they got chased out too. But, uh, and you were told uh, to stop, you, you brought the video camera oh. with you, and you were told to stop filming, right? Oh, yeah. If you, if you slow down, if you slow it down, Keith, and watch the people walking by me in that, uh, there, my God, you, you look like you kill. Uh, practically everyone that looked at me was putting a death uh, uh, look on me, you know? Um, had the evil eye. <laughs> let, let me just interject something, from, maybe with some quasi-levity. But this also goes to the root of people not really wanting to be, you know, shot either with stills or with video because they just don't want their privacy invaded. And yet you are out in the public so that you don't really have any privacy. I went into the to the subways back in 85. I had to shoot some footage for an article of all things that I was writing for an ecclesiastical magazine. And while I was down there, man, people were looking at me and they were not happy. But I'm going to say one other thing. The police approached me, and they were very they were very professional. They said, you can't do this. And I said, all right, if there's some proscription against this, believe me, I did not know. I'm shooting this for evangelical today. And I said, I did not know I needed a permit. And they said, yeah, you do. I said, okay, no problem, officers. Thank you. So, I mean, one of, you know, the cops did act professionally. I had no idea. But you talk about getting daggers. Oh, oh, I didn't realize how many people were giving it to me until I looked at my own stills and saw it. <laughs> And all it was about was just the New York City scene. You know, when I took, I I, I, I did a pan of like the subways coming down, uh, blurred to show the speed of them going by with with the people, though, being stable. I mean, it was that kind of thing. I I wasn't looking for anything, but they don't know that. They didn't like it. And yet, in a sense, it's too bad. It's out in the public domain, if you will. You know, so whatever happens, happens. I knew that, I knew, I knew at that point that I had something that uh, was probably going to, I, I discerned, I felt, I, I, I intuited, whatever, I, I, that I had a chronicle already that was going to probably be the most complete chronicle, you know, from a first person. I just, uh, by the way, everything was going, Hussein ducking back into the apartment, watching the news instead of being out there, watching what was going on. There was nobody out there watching what was going on. They were all hugging their television sets, you know, listening to the media, and when I was when I was there in Hoboken, I was determined I was going to capture everything that I could, and right to the very end, you know, the sun setting on Ground Zero that day, I I was determined that you know I was going to go ahead. This was going to be a a, a whole day. I was going to it was going to be something that that I, I was hopeful that someone would appreciate at some point. Yeah. Uh, now, Michael had made mention of again. You touched just upon it about some of your comments. Uh, you did have you did capture your phone call to your wife, who has no idea what's happened and is thinking whatever you're telling her is probably a little melodramatic, and I mean that's a real life thing, folks. And I mean you know he bared that open, uh, and I don't think anybody could not put themselves in his position to try to get his wife. He was trying to coax her out of danger, danger she didn't even know existed. Mm. Do you want to just speak to what she knew Thanks. what was going on at her oh. office? Thank you. I, I really appreciate that, Keith. You know, 
I felt so helpless because I was doing everything within my power. And my power is being her husband, her head. You know, I was a, I was abusive with it even. I was yelling at her on the phone, you know, to get the heck out of there. It's like she was froze, froze, you know, and like so many people get, you know, in an emergency, froze up. And her office didn't even know that uh, what was going on. They had to send somebody out to buy a television set to bring it up to, to watch what was happening. And then they went ahead and let them, you know, go home. But uh, it, was, it was just impossible to get through to my wife. And I just, at one point, I just, you know, I, I just had to uh, just let, let it go. It's, there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do. I can't do anything to get her out of the city. What's gonna, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. I can't do anything, you know. Now, the thing about this is that's only probably one of, shall we say, hundreds of thousands of conversations that are probably going on at that same time. But the people who are in harm's way, for no reason, should, should know what's going on. I mean, in some of those buildings, you can't even get any kind of radio. And this is really before streaming uh, audio was such a big deal. So if, you're, if your AM radio wasn't picking anything up because you were basically in a Faraday cage, you would not know what was going on. So it wasn't a stretch for these people to kind of react first. I mean, here's the deal. This is so catastrophic that somebody who hears this thinking, you are playing a really bad practical joke, or I can't even begin to conceive of what's going on above me. Yeah, that's how she treated me too. My wife... That's how she didn't believe me. I don't, I don't know. Um, I, I, don't, I, I, I was yelling. I, I know if you've heard the, what I, the way I was talking to her, I've had people that have seen, seen this and heard, listened to the way I was talking. And they're like, oh, you were so mean to your wife. And, you know, I, I, could, I, I could never, you know, you know, they were just really getting on me about it. And, uh, look, I would have uh, done anything to get her out of that city. I wouldn't have cared. I mean, I would have, whatever I could have done to oust her out of there, right? Well, your wife never did. And I, I understand there's no reason for her to have done such. But I wonder one day if she would put down uh, on paper what it was like to try to beat it out of Dodge when you realize that there were so many people trying to get out and so few conveyances. And, you know, you get this feeling like, am I going to get caught here? Yeah. I've asked her before, Keith, and, you know, she, uh, I don't know, she's just very, she has a, she has a, uh, I guess it would be, um, She's blessed in such a way that she's able to let go of things and just move on, man. Uh, she she let go of that quick. And she was right back in the city, and she was just carrying on like nothing had happened. And she's, she's got that ability, um, something I don't have, you know. Uh, in no comparison to what you were going through, but ironically at the same time, uh, I went up to visit my, my friends in the old hood, as I was wont to do, you know, a couple of times a year. And I had decided to take Tuesday as a day I was going to go on foot and just walk through all the old neighborhoods and visit the old candy stores and all that kind of stuff. And my wife, knowing before I did what was happening, was trying to get in touch with me. But I don't, you know, I had a cell phone, but I didn't carry it with me. Uh, you know, for what reason? I mean, I didn't expect a phone call from her down in Florida. So I wasn't. I didn't get in touch with her, I don't know until what time, but it was only 2.30 p.m. when I had visited a friend of my mom's who we went to church with, and I knocked on the door and she said, can you believe what happened? I'm saying, what are you talking about? She, and she grabbed me and said, look at this. And I come in, and my first, and, and this goes to where you're going next, and as I looked at what happened, I said, damn, that looks like a demolition, right? Yeah, So that's, that's that. Right. But she could not get a hold of me because all the circuits 
now, by now, they were all busy. The reason why she even worried about me was that I'm kind of like, you know, kind of extemporaneous and off the cuff. And I had reason to go within the city because I had some friends that worked there. And she kind of thought I wasn't going there, but she could never know. And she just mm-hmm. wanted to hear I wasn't in Manhattan. But she wow. couldn't find that out until sometime in the evening. And oh. then she finally was relieved. But, I mean, I was never at risk, don't get me wrong, but here you go, in a catastrophe. I don't care if you get cell towers or what. If they get overloaded, nobody's going to talk to anybody, and it, be, and it becomes a real, real frenetic scene until things calm down. So, And I remember people calling the uh, people I was stay, staying with. They had gone down to Jersey Shore. They were trying to find out where those, that couple was, and they couldn't get through to the next day. And then I had to tell them, no, they're out of harm's way. They went down to Asbury Park. They're fine. You know, so it, it was. And it reminded me of, if you guys remember, the movie based on the book by Stephen King, Stand. When this, I have yet. Yeah. Okay, well, mm-hmm. this, is, this is the end of everything. And that struck me because there'll be another time, I think we all know that. But this was kind of like life imitating art in the sense of, guess what? catastrophe is hit and you're all frozen where you are and you may never get back together again and i think you know you went through that and i went through that and of course that was multiplied by millions hey i i don't think i don't think your wife's experience was any less you know uh than mine i mean i the way that the news was covering it the way that they told us there were five five planes that were unaccounted for okay you know, other than the, you know, everybody, anyone that was watching news coverage was probably thinking, damn, you know, that could be, the plane went down in Shanksville, uh, the, 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 the Pentagon, you know, they're thinking the two planes in New York, there's five, four to four, four or five. I know it was four or five, they, and they never corrected that. The news never corrected that. They had us thinking that these planes had been hijacked and were flown off to somewhere, you know, hidden, and they were going to come back and hit us again. Do you remember that? Yeah, well, I don't remember the time because, like you, I had no media. I had no idea yeah. what was going on. Now, after the fact, they settled on back down, and then there were yeah. references to the fact that, yes, folks reported they might have been five. And they might have been five missing at the time. You don't know. It's just that one of them didn't, you know, that wasn't involved in this wasn't accounted for. Because remember, there was, only other, there was only one other time that planes were ordered out of the air, but it was a drill that all aviation knew was taking place. This was under Kennedy. I believe it was April '62, uh, I think, and the the airlines played along with the government, and they were simulating an attack by the Russians, and they they brought all the planes down that day, and let the drill go on. And but you hear, here's what's interesting: back in the '60s drill, the government was smart enough to keep a contingent of planes that were ready to react if, in fact a real situation occurred while they were doing this uh, test, if you will, this drill. Again, as a footnote to what happened in 9-11, how do we get so stupid 30 years later or 40 years later where we're going to have a drill, which you had the day before, and there was a drill going on. I think there were two going on that day, and you don't have anybody ready to scramble like Kennedy and that administration did? How do we get stupid in 40 years? So, of course, the reason I say that is because of the Pentagon situation, plane or no plane, the, the D.C. Air Guard never scrambled. What, what do they have to go for down in Norfolk? What, what is wrong with this picture? So You can hear, yeah. Okay, you can I'm, hear, in the Chronicle, Keith, you, you know you can hear 
five different flyovers, you know, the fighter jets. And they don't come in until 45 minutes after, you know what I mean, after the fact that the, um, they've, even, they've even substantiated with both of the towers being hit that, that it has been an attack. All right, they, was, they didn't come in until 45 minutes after the second hit. Is that correct? At, yes, at least, at least. It All was right. an, an, between that and an hour, yes. Now, let me just share you this, and I, I know people who have followed me and stuff through the years know this story. I understand it, but still, there's new people listening. And let me establish this. When I, I, when I was walking, and I don't know what time it was because I had no cell phone, I carried a watch. That's the last thing I cared about is what time it was. I was walking, I think I might have been 40 minutes into my walk, and it was like the leaves were still on the trees. It was summer for the most part still. At one point, and I don't know what time it was, I can only assume it was probably the second plane that mm-hmm. came through. Now, here's what happened. I hear this awful roar and din overhead. My first reaction was, there's a, there's a commercial airliner that is in deep trouble and is going to try to land at Peterborough in Little Ferry. That would be a possible scenario if they couldn't make Newark. And if they couldn't make Peterborough, they had marshes out there where they had to do a Sullivan, you know, I don't know, on, like, like he did on the Hudson River. They could do that there. And I, standed, I, I, stand, I stood in the middle of the street looking up, and I could not see through this canopy of maples that were fully leafed, and I, I just couldn't see through it. But then I looked to my, to my south, and there was a guy two blocks away. He's standing in the middle of the street, and he's looking up too. So something's going on here that's untoward. I never thought a thing about it. I just figured it might have been a plane of duress. I'll hear about it later. I don't know what that was. I can only assume it was the second plane, because if it mm-hmm. wasn't the second plane, then it had to be fighter jets, but it didn't sound like fighter jets because they, they weren't that fast and that high wind. It, this thing was look, like it was pulling its flaps back. Mm-hmm. Now, there was a listener to the show who was working at Sea Caucus, which was also in that flight plane, Later on, he told me that he was outside because it was a beautiful day between two buildings, two warehouses, and he heard it. He looked, but he couldn't find it because it was just not in that in that place. But he heard the same thing and wondered what's going on. And what that was was it going down Central Jersey more or less and getting ready to pull into a, a the U-turn that eventually landed at the South Tower. That's my guess. But anyway, I heard something. It was certainly, like I said, anomalous. And look, I lived in that area for nearly 40 years. That's on the flight path to both Newark, LaGuardia, and Kennedy. We were used to, to to planes coming in. When you hear that, that's not normal, and you have a lot to compare it to. And that was my mm-hmm. experience that day. But again, I had no visual contact with it, and I just sloughed it off until later on I realized what that could have been. And that's another thing why the no players can kiss my purple butt, is because something was going on that day, and all they're dealing with is video. But you had to be there, and of course, they weren't. But anybody who says they saw it, like my brother-in-law, is lying, mm-hmm. is lying because it doesn't fit their schema. Yeah. All right. I, I've said enough about that, Michael. Again, is there anything you you want to ask or or uh, interject? Well, I hate to say this, Keith, but I had no idea you were there. I had no idea. I don't I, understand why why you were so interested. I had no idea. <laughs> you never told me that. <laughs> well, I've listened to to a. Uh, well, I don't know, probably a hundred or more of your shows and recordings, and never heard you once mention that you were actually there. And we talked about it before, and you never mentioned so. That's interesting. You know, when I ask uh, 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 
Jim is uh, about your wife. How many how, how many blocks does she have to walk before she get to the ferry? When did she get to, to the ferry? Oh, well, it, uh, it's a ten minute walk from uh, Times Square, which she where she got off the uh, the pass station to her workplace. And I would say it's about the same distance, ten minute walk to the uh, west side to the Hudson River to where the Hudson to uh, where the New York Waterway was uh, ferrying people across. Probably, but you know what? She told me it took her four hours. Four hours. There were that many people uh, that were, you know, having to use the New York Waterway to 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 get to New Jersey. It took her four. Look, I don't want to. I'm not exaggerating. It may have been five hours. She was uh, in line. It was ridiculous. And one thing I I I thought was peculiar. I asked her there in Hoboken too. I said, "Honey, are they profiling anyone?" And she said, "Yeah." She said, "They're pulling people. They're profiling. You know, at that time, middle anyone that looked like they were from the Middle East." Isn't that interesting, you know? Yeah. Jim, anyway. Jim, let me ask you, did she have to take a subway downtown to get to the to the ferries? Or was she able to uh, board at a, a, a midtown? She, they, they must have. The New York Waterway, you know, there's a, where that is. Is that the Intrepid Museum on okay. the west side? I think the New York Waterway was probably using something that they have over there already set up. All right. Did she come across? That was the, that, You were south of the Imperator uh West terminus of the ferries, weren't you? They went uh, into Weehawken. Were these the same ones? No, no, uh, no. That would be that would be uh, that'd be further north, further north. Further north. Okay, I got you. So she came down to the furthest southern uh, terminus for the ferries. Uh, that yes, sir. Yes, uh, yes, sir. I, I got to actually meet her right when she came off the ferry. I actually got to see the ferry there and. It was strange, what, man. What, what, what time of the day was that, Jim? You know I mean? It was about. It was right at uh, five o'clock. Because I got because when she got there and we got to talking and we're we're moving around. Of course, I'm just overjoyed that she made it. And man, I was. It's like all my worries were gone. It's like poof. It was a big weight off of me. And we were walking around and and we walked into that relief station and that's when I saw the plume from Building Seven. It had just gone down, so that was around five thirty, I believe. That it went down. You know, I'm guessing now. It's like 5:20 or 5 5:30, but uh, I got the. I, I was actually able to see that from where I was. The vantage I was too. So the oh, so no. the, the second hit occurred at nine o'clock in the morning. So here you have from nine o'clock to five o'clock, all that has to take place for people to get it through their heads what's going on and to figure out the best way to get out of Dodge, right? Yeah, I mean, look at the. Yeah, I'm I'm totally wrong. It must have taken her longer than that to get over to the west side. Yeah, took them a long time to figure it out, Keith. I don't know. It was. The, I I believe that the uh, the south tower had already gone down before she was even released from work. Oh yeah, no doubt. And, and I'm just thinking that. Uh, let's see. Forty five minutes. The, the WT seven went down about what four thirty or five o'clock. I thought. Yeah, I, I, um, you know what? I saw the plume of it after it had just gone right. down. It was about five twenty. Um, You're right. Keith. It was, was five twenty. So here, everybody thinks the worst might be over, and, and they have a gap now between, say, you know, nine o'clock or whatever, whenever the South Tower finally finished, you know, collapsing. Um, and then all of a sudden, you're trying to get out, and you might be in the process of getting out, and then WTC seven goes down. Yeah, and I was thinking that while I was there in Hoboken, what had another plane entered into there and gone into another building? I didn't think that it, that a building had just collapsed. I'd never heard of that happening anyway. 
just collapsing because of damage and the fire. Anyway, it seemed really right. And what's forgotten about is uh, Patricia Adravik, who was an EMT uh, uh, personnel that had was dispatched to go down to the to the uh, South Manhattan. She talks about the craziness and, and the smoke around it. She goes into WTC five, I believe, and the federal uh, police that are in those buildings told her you can't come in. And she's like, why? She goes, well, you know, we're afraid there might be another collapse or something. And she's looking at them like, well, what are you here for? You know? And, and she, she ran away. Uh, she was talking about seeing charges go off or what she later realized were charges. And I believe it was WTC five. And she said she, they ran like Christmas lights. Those that kind of like, you know, blink in a train. And mm-hmm. she said that thing went down, and then she beat her butt right down to the river to try to get air to breathe. Now, that's an excellent interview that, you know, Killtown did when I think Killtown was straight. Because where he's gone with the no planners, I mean, I cannot even explain. I always thought he was a straight shooter. Well, but, but he did a decent interview with her, and I contacted her after that. And she does exist, and she said to me that she only wanted to stay at once. It's over and done with. She wanted to go down on the record, and that's all I want to deal with. And she at least was, was civil enough to respond to me. But uh, let me just say that there's another building that was blown that nobody really talks about. And I'm just doing this from memory. I believe it's WTC5. Uh, her name is Patricia Adravic, and she had lived in Queens. Uh, and that's, you know, that's the end of it. I never bothered with her again, but she was for real. So mm-hmm. there's, there's the other tower that we're talking about. But also now, as you're doing like kind of a stream of conscious running commentary as if it were, as we're used to, you know, some kind of live event, be you know, sports or a procession by the Pope or whatever, you started to think out loud. Mm-hmm. And you were led to say the government had to be in on it. Now, do you want to pick that up and explain why you felt that way? You know, um, you know look, uh, it's, a, it's a really uh, strange how... You know that. Look, I wasn't. I, you know, I was a. I was a professional working actor. I had. Uh, you, you cultivate, you know, certain sensitivities. You do, and it's kind of. It's actually. It's not too healthy. You know, and you become very sensitive. You have to make yourself very sensitive to be a good actor. You know, you have to be able to communicate nuances. You know, of emotion, and um, to affect an audience. And um, I was. I was that kind of actor. I was an actor's actor. I mean, I was very serious with my craft, and. Uh, Huh, I don't know. You know, I look. I was. A, I was at that time. I was a. I was a. I, I was a Christian, but I certainly was a weak Christian in faith. I was raised in an environment where I didn't have a lot of knowledge in me, which has changed since that day. I'll tell you. But uh, I was up all night, and why I'm telling you this, Keith, it's uh, to lead into. Uh, sorry to go so far around to answer your question, but I, I carried that camera with me all night. I'd never done that before or since that day. All night, I couldn't separate myself from that camera. I stayed up all night. I couldn't even sleep. I was manic. I don't know what, you know, look, it was so weird. Um, That morning, I went all the way up to the Bayonne Bridge, and I captured the cityscape as the sun was rising. I accidentally, I believe I taped over that tape when I captured the second. um, I had to change tapes, you know what I mean, right before the second uh, tower went down, and I lost that footage. But uh, what I'm I'm saying is is that uh, there was a, I was very sensitive. Uh, it's almost like, look, whether whether you believe it or not, uh, it's almost like I was uh, I was appointed to capture what I did, 
and even to even to say what I said. And uh, and I didn't have any doubt. I didn't feel any any doubt when I said I believe. I would not doubt. I would not be surprised if our government had something to do with this. I don't know why I said it, but I'll tell you what. I didn't just. It wasn't some happened just. You know, I I really felt it. I felt that way, and I and um, I felt even more so. And I know I repeated myself a couple times saying that too. I felt the same way uh, when I went back into the the apartment after the towers had both gone down, and I was watching coverage on the news channels. I was flipping through the channels. I wanted to see what everyone was saying, and I didn't really cue in on what was exactly what you know. I was like, oh yeah, they're just covering. But then I went back up on the roof. A couple hours later, and I was capturing more footage of the afternoon and what it looked like there at Ground Zero and all around the atmosphere, and and I and I was describing what was happening. And earlier that morning, I never used one word to describe the word a word to describe what had happened, and that word was collapse. And then I, as soon as I I caught myself, I caught myself stopping and using the word collapsed, and then. I paused in my mind and I said, holy, excuse me, holy shit. That's what every one of those news, the news media, that's what they were on point to describe what had happened. Like there, I, and I knew, I was like, and I, 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 I kind of got fearful, man. I was like, I did. I, I felt like a spirit of fear. I was like, my God, they're all on point. There's a directive and how they're even, the, the media is, is being directed by the government. You, I you knew say, that. When you say collapse, do you mean collapse as in what I had said, uh, detonation, like we see the, of, of a lot of major buildings? Because that never ceases, right? We always saw when, when they were going to pull some kind of big building, whether it be a, you know, a stadium or something like that. And that's, that's the only reference I think any of us ever had. And so when you say collapse, are you thinking as in what? Demi- uh, demolition? Yeah. Well, oh, no, no. When they used the word collapse, the way, I, the way I perceived it was this. You know, collapse does, if you say the buildings went down, you know, they went down. Like I was saying, they went down. Um, collapse doesn't. Collapse kind of leaves an open, an open uh, description for what had happened. To find out, collapse is not. You know, collapse can be by accident. If something can collapse, it was intentional. Um, okay, so they, you seen an intentional quote downing of a building, like a neuralistic, neuralistic uh, programming, neurolinguistic programming. Right. I believe, I believe, Keith, hey, no, I'm just saying, this is, this is what I believe. And I felt it, I perceived it as truth, that, they, that the networks, they all were using the word collapse and collapsed. They used those words. And, every, every, and, and I, I, I distinctly remember, as soon as I went to say, describe what had happened, you know, earlier when the buildings went down, I stopped myself and when they, I said collapsed. And uh, then I said, oh, my God, I'm using the same words. They, the media, I was just in there for a few minutes. And I am speaking the same talking points that they are already, you know. And I feel, you know, anyway. Well, does uh, that suck? Uh, we'll get back to this because there's there's more that you said, and I, I don't want to get to it. But uh, uh, somebody in the chat room had written that a guy in Colorado, I guess a radio personality who might be syndicated elsewhere, was talking about idiot conspirators who believe that Building Seven was pulled and not damaged by a plane. Well, you're gonna have to talk to Rudy Giuliani too, because he got his ass out of WTC seven, fearing its integrity. I don't know if anybody remembers that, but that boy beat it out of there with his entourage. So how did he know that that, that building quote was, uh, shall we say, compromised? <laughs> so oh. it was not a plane that did that. I mean, so talk to Rudy because Rudy knew it before anyone else did. Unfortunately, he didn't tell the, the firemen. So you know, God, I, and you know, here's the other thing too. 
and I've always said this as a continuum, and that is, folks, the United States is a corporation. It's a satanic construct, just like all other countries. Okay, that's the way it is. Go check the Bible out. Don't get mad at me. And because of that, you have to realize that they do not care. They feign being advocates, but they are like abusive parents. They, they feign care, and they'll smack the crap out of you, and they'll bring you back to health again. My point here is that this country, not unlike a lot of other countries, have had dirty hands when it comes to, to sacrificing their citizens for a cause. And we always say, go back to the USS Maine. That obviously now is, is understood as being uh, sabotaged, uh, but not by the Cubans, okay? Uh, not by the, uh, yeah, not by the Spaniards, with whom we got into a fight right after that as the, as the trigger cause. Go back to the Lusitania. Colin Simpson in 1972 wrote an excellent book full of documentation and, and images of documents that shows that the Lusitania was carrying stores and arms for the Brits in violation of the cruiser rules at that time. <clears throat> Excuse me. The Germans t told the United States, do not let people, passengers, go on the Lusitania because you're fair game. Wilson did not allow those notices to go into papers. Uh, and we'll get into other things, but Churchill taking away the escort from the south of Ireland. In other words, those people who died in Lusitania, in sight of land, were sacrificed for the United States' eventual entry into World War I. And then we have Pearl. And that's another situation that was well known. In fact, it was so well known that Tom Dewey, who was going to run, and did run against uh, Roosevelt in 44, I believe, was going to, sh to show that Roosevelt and the administration knew that the Japanese were coming. And he was told, both by his party, by the Republican Party, and the Joint Chiefs of Staff, that he said boo about Roosevelt's foreknowledge that he would be tried and convicted of the Sedition Act. Therefore, Dewey lost the 44 election, and when he won the 48 election against Truman, he lost the 48 election in the wee small hours of the morning. Do you catch my drift? So the United States, like other countries, has a history of sacrificing people for a particular uh, foreign intrigue. And 2001, 9-11 was no different. It's just the way the corporations work, and they do not care about you one bit. So if you take 2001, 9-11, a continuum going back, and I'm leaving out the Gulf of Tonkin and all other kind of things, then you realize this is what we do. It's okay with you? That's okay with you. But don't say it didn't happen, because it's happened three times at least before. So, all right, so so much for the guy in Colorado. What do you expect anybody to say? Oh, hello. Looks like they dropped off. <laughs> That's not good. What's going on here? What? Oh, I can, there you are. You dropped off for a second there. Are you still there, Jim? You there, Keith? What's going on? There seems to be an interference. You says you're on, but you just you're dropping off. Uh oh, this is very intense. What was the conversation was going on too? Yeah, unfortunately, it seems that all governments did well. It doesn't seem it is all governments are. Hey, help me out here, Michael. Are we? What are we doing here? Do we lose kosher? Uh, Looks like we did. Yeah, and you just you've been coming in and out as well. So um, 
yeah, try to call them back. Uh, reconnect them with you. I, you know, you might want to do Keith. Yeah. If you can hear hear me, uh, uh, maybe because you keep going in and out yourself. I don't know what is happened there, but um, looks like you have bad connection all of a sudden. You might want to hang up and call back and bring Jim back in. Okay. You there? I have no idea what's going on there. This is weird. Usually it doesn't happen. Usually it happens at the beginning of the show, not in the middle of the show. It looks like Keith has a bad connection. What I can do is... Um, yeah, it's, can you imagine having your spouse there in the middle of that and going through all that chaos. I remember what it was like being in uh, in the New York City 2000, the New Year's. And what a chaotic mess that was, just to go to Times Square there and see the ball drop. <laughs> but the, the couple of million people there and being... And this was very obviously organized with the pens and the cops and everything else. And of course, it ended up in the whole places, the park there. And of course, they didn't have. <laughs> one of the funniest things that ever happened was the fact that uh, had a line, probably about 50 men, uh, lining up uh, to take a whiz on on a a sycamore tree in the park. <laughs> That's how bad it was. No, no. Uh, toilets or anything. So can you imagine what it must have been like in that situation? Toilets and everything else and let's see what's going on there. Let's see, open up. See if we can open him up. Oh, we're, we're here. Okay, there you are. All right. All right, so everybody's talk- back together again. Cool. I was just talking about my time in 2000 at the, in New York in Times Square. So. And wow, what a chaotic mess that was. And that was organized. And um, with the pens and with the police and everything and and sh- shuffling you around. You know, what I, what I would like to ask you, gentlemen, and Jim, if, if what you heard from uh, your wife, is, uh, what was it like in that, that journey from the building where she was working to the to the ferry? Did she really describe that to you? Was what, How chaotic was it? Uh, uh, and the other question is, too, what time did they actually shut down the city? You know, when did they start to, be, you know, you know, we're talking about how the government, well, anybody who's done any research knows that the government was involved in this. There's, there's no doubt. I mean, the evidence, all the fingers point to them. Um, was there like, when, when did the, the city actually shut down? You know? Do you remember? Still there? Anybody there? Well, I'm here. Can you hear me? I can hear you. I just can't hear Jim. Is Jim? <laughs> He's gone again. <laughs> <laughs> Try to give him a call again see what happens. Uh, he may call me. I can bring him back in. He did this last time, so I'm going to wait to see if I get a, a call from him. Well, do you re- do you remember, Keith? When, when did they shut down the city? How, uh, how soon was, after? I, I don't know, but I tell you what, there were varying times because they, they dealt with the bridges first, uh, and of course they were going to let people get out, I guess, for as long as they could with the ferry service, but I think the bridges were the first to be closed. 
Now, this brings in a situation, too, with my brother-in-law, who could not care less about conspiracies. Uh, he had to go into South Manhattan to do a recording because he's a musician. He drove into northern Manhattan. I think he might have gone to Port Authority, grabbed the Broadway uh, subway downtown. Doesn't know what's going on. Comes out of the subway, and he sees fire. Uh, not fire, but smoke. It may have from a couple of blocks south, and he says, gee, you know, it's one of the towers on fire. He goes up into the to the uh, building in which he's going to do a recording, and everybody's standing there looking at these windows facing the south, and he goes, what's going on? He goes, you didn't hear? He goes, no. He said, a plane flew into the North Tower. So a lot of them were packing up to go, and it was at this time that he was looking, he said, and he turned to his right, which would be somewhat to the southwest west, and he said he saw another plane coming, he saw the hit, and he said, I better get my butt out of here. He boogied out of there, went back down to the subway, went back up to get his car and got out of Manhattan through the north side into Westchester County because he feared that they would close. The, and by this time, he's got the radio on and all this other stuff, and apparently it was being uh, spread you know, through the media that they were going to shut down the, the, uh, the tunnels and they are going to shut down the, uh, the uh, <clears throat> bridges. Uh, one of the things about Jim's video is, and it's one of these kind of like ongoing dramas, he's shooting out to the east, and below him are his street, but beyond that, there is a ramp for the New Jersey Turnpike that goes into the Holland Tunnel. So when he first hears that something has occurred in the North Tower, as he's filming, he also pans down to the ramp on which you see cars going in, and then you see fewer cars going in, and then you see a complete cessation of any traffic going in from Jersey to New York into the Holland Tunnel. So there you have the tunnels being closed very rapidly, at least the inbound. I don't know what they did with the outbound. But you can start to see, kind of like a pebble in a lake, the reverberations of what was taking place at the trade centers and how it was starting to impact out into the outlying suburbs on the Jersey side and the boroughs on the east side. Uh, and yet what was so strange was, while traffic came to a stop and then, you know, finally had to just turn around and do whatever they did, there were people still walking the street below him that had no idea what was going on over there because they had no view of it. So they, too, thought everything was, was going great on a beautiful fall day, mm -hmm. and yet the traffic on the, on the turnpike knew something was up. And then as, you, as he continues this, it's not only the video, but it's the audio, because all of a sudden now you're hearing just an absolute cacophony of sirens both across the river, on the Jersey side, Going in, you know, emergency personnel going into the tunnels and stuff. The trains had stopped. It was, it was really beyond your wildest imagination as to what happens to everyday life once this kind of catastrophe occurs and the emergency is spread across uh, the involved areas. Yeah. And it really is kind of like a silent type of reportage uh, of what was going on, which is pretty. It would be pretty uncommon anywhere else. But here you had, of course, a metropolis that was divided by the Hudson River. And, you know, everybody suffered on both sides. All right. Do you want me to try to get Jim in one more time? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. You stay put. I'll try to get him. Okay. Hello. Yeah. Hey, there he is. Hey, Jim. You there, Jim? I heard him. Now he's gone. <laughs> That's weird. 
Uh, well, hopefully when they call back in, it will be okay. Um, yeah, I, well, you know, one of the questions I have, folks, is, you know, let's think about this. New York City is huge if you have not been there. Uh, and if you have been there, you should uh, recognize it, this is a this is a huge place. And to shut it all down so fast and to uh, – that's a big question mark for me is how did they shut it down so fast? Uh, now, I understand that they have con- contingency plans and, and all this kind of stuff. But still, one would, has to assume – is the speed in which they really did shut down the city and and um that you know they that somebody in the inside knew and of course mayor uh Giuliani he knew all about this and uh, um and et cetera so and um yeah it must have been interesting too was when that building five or seven, building seven fell at from five and o'clock in the evening. How that must have been traumatizing, especially for so many of those people that were still waiting to get off the island. Um, what that must have been like. I don't know. I I guess you know we, you go through different phases as this journey uh, and the story, and I am definitely at this point more interested in the human side of the story maybe it's because of being a father and being older and all that kind of stuff you know when I was younger it was, you know, it was more about the politics and why they would do such a thing but today I'm really more interested in uh, just remember FEMA slipped and said they were there Monday evening oh true yeah, I can't. I forgot about that. I, we're doing, yeah. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, the big thing would be is is a you know it's a big red flag is this whole idea that you know all of a sudden the yeah it's a huge place and it there's no way if it if they were caught off guard that they would have been able as that so soon to shut down the city and all that. I hear somebody. Who do I hear? I heard somebody. No, Keith seems to be still having problems here. And what about you, Jim? You there? No. All right. No, he's still here. So, um, well, I'll tell you what. This he had a couple audios to play, and I don't want to jump the gun on them, but maybe we can listen to a couple of these audios until they get on. And trying to see which one we maybe we should do. We have four audios that he wanted to play. And um but I don't want to jump the gun too soon. I don't see he's not typing. Uh let's see if there's any emails. Hmm. 
Interesting. Once we started talking about the government thing, everything crashed. Okay. Well, I'm going to type in here real fast in case he calls in. Uh, is trying to play one of your audios. Audio. hang in there. If you get back on. Oh, there he is. Maybe I don't. Oh, there. Okay. Come on. We're here. Okay, okay. I can hear you now. We're here. <laughs> I was going to get ready to play one of your audios. So, okay. <laughs> that may not be a bad idea. What, what I did was, if this happens again, uh, then Jim is going to call in direct. So uh, we, you don't lose both of us at the same time. Right. I, but I just want to tell you something, too, in case you, <laughs> something is up. <clears throat> when I uh, did a live show on TalkShoe with Big Jim out of Illinois working the board, we had done a couple of shows, and we became very popular on uh, Blog Talk. And we were one of their bullet shows that they were going to uh, promote as they did those kind of shows, like, say, a six or seven every week. So I was like, yeah, this is great, right? And there were other 9-11 shows on Blog Talk. We had Killtown on, talking about Flight 93. And during the show, uh, you know, the grand poobah of uh, Blog Talk, some idiot by the name of Sweet from Michigan, contacted Jim as the show was going on saying, you guys are finished after this show and we're not taping this. Uh, and sure enough, we finished the show with Killtown. Uh, we were both kicked off forever and they did not archive the show. And I usually taped the shows myself anyway. I didn't do it that day. So I'll never know what the deal was because uh, as others have been told, uh, you violated the rules. I said, okay, I understand the rules, but tell me what was said that violated the rules. And I got back, well, you violated the uh, All right, all right, jerk, I get it. You know, you're not going to tell me what the language was that was objectionable. So you figure out what happened. Was it kill town because he was dirty? I don't know. So when I, when I hear this stuff going on with you, I'm thinking back to that day. So, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's, for those who don't know, I've, I've tried to, to uh, start a YouTube channel and they have blocked everything. Everything I try to put up there, and it's the same thing. It's if they find it the uh, the community there at TalkShoe, uh, not TalkShoe, uh, YouTube, 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 YouTube channel. I try to start a YouTube channel, and the and they said that everything that I put up there is as offensive. But you see, what's funny is they don't tell you who the community <laughs> is, and they don't tell you what was offensive. Tell me what was offensive, but they never will tell you. I mean, this no, is. I mean. So, so all you Constitution huggers, kiss my purple butt. You have no First Amendment <laughs> rights. Nobody has freedom of expression in this country if the powers that be or the money or whatever the power structure is, if they don't like it, it isn't getting out. So don't tell me about your First Amendment rights because they do not exist. Well, you know, what's yes. nice with me too, with Keith, is that uh, when, you know, that email exchange about it, with, uh, you and Gordo and uh, – you said it's a Jesus thing, and I think you're right. <laughs> yeah, it is. 
Yeah, I think it's the a combination. Thing you can do, right. Yeah, so much for uh, Jesus and the, and the flag and uh, Mom's apple pie. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I tell you what. Getting back to this, there's one thing I want to bring up, and then if we could, Jim, if it's okay with you, we I, and, and Michael, could we go down through the uh, four audio clips? Uh, and we can all have reactions from you guys. Is, is that okay if we do that? Yeah, which one do you sure. want to start with? Well, before we do that, I, I want to broach one thing because uh, I don't want this to get lost. This was another thing that not necessarily, although I think you might have mentioned it, Jim, at least on the raw footage, what we don't realize and what your video caught was there were a lot of aircraft around the towers after the one collapse, certainly. Mm-hmm. Did, did you not mention? Because I mean, I'm seeing helicopters and planes. Yes. Going yes. In, I, I can see them in the seam between the two towers where the two were yes. up. Did, did you, yes. Yeah. Do you remember that? Oh man, that's that is so strange because the plane you're talking about that goes in between the two towers it looks like a big white elephant, like some type of government, big government plane, doesn't it? Well, we well, we, we have to be. I, I should be more. Uh, precise. The planes that we're saying go between the towers are passing behind both of them. Is that correct? Yes, they're passing behind, right. which out towards the Atlantic uh, Ocean. Right. Or, or, you know, right, yes. On the east side. And, I mean, there were helicopters there, and there was all kinds of other things. Plus, you also caught plumes of smoke continually popping out from other places in the towers. I, I was going to say something earlier because I have the Chronicle right now. On I, we're fortunate. My wife and I got a big high, big screen high def. Uh, I'm able to see this Chronicle in a way I haven't been able to see it in a long time. And those I was looking at these uh, flumes of smoke on the ground initially when we when we first were talking because that's this thing this thing's been playing the whole time that we've been talking. And um, I remember uh, seeing a video on YouTube about a a, a van that exploded down on the ground, you know, somewhere in the area of the Twin Towers. And uh, that must have been the smoke from it. And the plumes you're talking about of smoke coming out of the towers, oh, man, Keith, uh, you know, there, there is a yeah, – go ahead, I'm sorry. No, but the, no, because I, I wanted to see if your recollection is as mine. Some of those, though, came out, those smoke, they came with force. Like force yes. smoke, like something happened where this wasn't wafting out. This was kind of like a jet that went out and eventually, yeah, you know, wafted up into the sky. But it was almost like something took place to force oh. the shot of smoke out from wherever it was happening. Oh, you know what really gives me gives me the chills? You know what I mean? And, and the spirit of the truth. What I'm saying is, you can see that there are people that are jumping from the towers, like a, a lot of people. You know, if you watch. It's like other times you might see occasionally you'll see somebody will just go, oh, there's another one. There's somebody. There's somebody jumping. Oh. And, but but right before the the towers collapse, you see people jumping. A lot of people jumping. Like something was happening in the towers that they were like, no man, I'm going to make this decision. I'm going to take my own life. This is going to be on my terms. It's like I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like oh, they yeah. made like right before right before they collapse. Right before they go down, um, like a, within a, a minute before that, that would substantiate what you're tra- what you're saying here, Keith, is that something was happening inside the towers. Well, the one thing I was going to say later on, well, we, we all remember the footage of the Hindenburg when you had that radio call 
by the person that was down there. And I mean, I don't want to be tawdry about this, but I mean, it is so gut-wrenching that it can make you cry every time you listen to it, although it happened like, what, you know, 70 years ago or more. Um, What I do remember with you is, because I started looking at this, and I'm saying some of these objects that are coming out of the towers are not furniture or stuff that might have been thrown out. Um, They're bodies. And you were kind of like trying to figure it out, and then you realize, and I think you did one of these like, oh my. You know, that those are human beings. I mean, that is yes. just... And, and your, your point, though, is well taken. People are somewhat familiar with people coming out to the edge of the towers, especially the South Tower, uh, because of whatever's going on inside. People are also aware that people plummeted from high up in the strike zones. But I think what you're saying is, and that's what I captured... I mean, uh, that I saw myself, I should say, Caption. I saw myself with that. There were bodies that were coming out from lower. Yes. So if the strikes were up top, what was going on down below that people decided, I'm going to take my life in a jump and not be in this place? Were they detonations? You know, what was going on? I would assume it is. And let me just ask you one other thing, because I thought you said this, but I'm not sure. With the two towers still standing, and even after the, the south went down, during that time, the span of the second hit and the and the south tower going down and the north still being there. Did you did you continually hear explosions? Did I hear explosions? You know, Keith. Um, I, I you you hear muffled. Look, there's some muffled. It's muffled, wind, yes, right. Muffled, you know, and I, you know, you know, you can't really, you know, and I, I suppose. I suppose that this could be, you know, that that the audio could be analyzed, and you could find, you would know for certain if they were explosions. But you know, you think that's what you're what you're hearing, and um, you know, I don't know if that had something to okay. do with how I. Yeah, go ahead. Oh no, no, no! I'm just saying I understand, and thank you for being honest. But when you realize that some of the the people that were leaving the building were not in the strike zone, but further down, the reason why this is a problem because. One of the things that's really interesting, I hate to use that word, uh, when you had the give and takes between the New York fire personnel and their headquarters or whoever was acting as the headquarters, in the South Tower, I believe, it may have been the North, and I'm sorry to go through this conjecture, but what bothered me about it, no matter what tower it was, is that the communications were suddenly stopped because the building fell. My point is, before the building falls, You've got New York Fire Department personnel in there explaining what's going on and that they are in a rescue mode. They are not under duress. They are not being burnt up by fire. So how in the world can they tell their superiors what's going on and in one second the building goes down and we're to believe that it burnt to the ground? And that has always bothered me. It's like, oh, let me get this straight now, okay? The building burnt to the ground with super hot, you know, uh, temperatures, and these people didn't turn into post-toasty crispies before they talked. I mean, you can't have it both ways. You can't be talking to live people and then tell them that they got burnt to death within a second. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's in the New York Times. You can, anybody can read the transcription between the both. If, the, if these people are alive and working and under control, how in the world could they have succumbed to the fire that burnt that building down at that very moment. You can't have it both ways. Uh, we have a, a guest that also wrote, remember FEMA slipped and said they were they were there Monday evening. I don't know that they slipped. I mean, 
Yes, after the fact, it was widely known that there was an exercise taking place on the piers in southern Manhattan on the Hudson River. And I had Matthew Dottaglia on years ago that was talking about being called up on a unit from, a, from Lancaster or that area, Pennsylvania. And they didn't get in the first, the first day. They were on deck, if you will, and they went in the second day. But it's true. There was an, an, uh, a terrorist, uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for, uh, a drill going on the day before. And, of course, this has resonated in other places like the Boston Marathon that was conducting a drill that day, like in London on July 7th, they were conducting drills that day. I mean, after a while, doesn't it get a little bit, come on, man. I mean, what are the odds for that? So, mm-hmm. be that as it may, yes, they were having a drill the day before, on, on the 10th, uh, on uh, the docks uh, that uh, projected to the Hudson River. All right, uh, why don't we go to some of the clips? Okay. And the first one we're going to hear, I believe, is going to be from Martini who is the uh, construction project manager. This was an interview that was uh, conducted before 9-11. The reason why I think it's important and the reason why I, I, I held on to it and gave it both to Jim and to Michael was because Martini, DiMartini is explaining the way the building was built, which was very unique to those two towers. And the reason why they built it the way it was and what they expected would happen if the expected... Uh, uh, crash of a plane took place, in this case the 707, and don't get yourself in an uproar that the 707 is much so much smaller than the 747. We're talking about commercial airliners hitting it, and he said it could take not only one hit, it could take two, and he explained why uh, it would be that way. So, Michael, roll it when you can. Okay. You can hear me, right? Yes. Okay, there we go. designed to have a fully loaded 707 crash into it. That was the largest plane at the time. I believe that the building probably could sustain multiple impacts of jetliners because this structure is like the mosquito netting on your screen door, this intense grid, and the jet plane is just a pencil puncturing that screen netting. It really does nothing. All right, we can hold it there. Now, my, my point of contention with so many people is you, you people keep saying about, oh, that it's unbelievable the way that the building absorbed the plane. I don't know. I mean, I'm just being honest. Martini laid that out, that that is what was supposed to happen, and it happened. What do you want me to tell you? It doesn't happen with other buildings because they aren't built the same way. And nobody ever saw something like that happen before because there weren't buildings with outside trestles like that, uh, trellises rather, that were built in those two towers. And I, I think Silverstein, who was one of the architects or something like that, later feebly said, well, we didn't expect a, a plane to hit with a, full, with a full load of fuel. Really? I mean, what does that have to do with anything? I mean, what a bogus thing to say. Oh, the plane's got a fuel, full load of fuel, so that made everything different. Get out of here. I mean, stop. Uh, anybody else? Your, your takes on uh, what Martini said and what you guys saw with uh, somebody else's eyes? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it makes uh, all the sense. There's no way that a plane took those 
buildings down. It's but just, can you believe, Michael, but can you believe that the plane went into the building, we can say rather softly, because that's the way Demartini, I mean, what I'm saying is what Demartini, how he explained how the, the, the building would react. Do you believe when you saw the, the plane go into the South Tower that the building behaved the way Demartini said it was built to behave? <clears throat> well, yeah. <laughs> Be honest. That's okay. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't okay. know. I don't, I don't have enough information to know. But, you know, it's, it's hard to believe that. Um, yeah, I mean, when you look at it, 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 in some ways it makes sense that it could be like a pencil going through like a, a web, a webbing net type of thing. And, uh, you know, but I, I don't know enough. I'll let you gentlemen decide this one. <laughs> no, that's okay. No, fair enough, Michael. I mean, if, if you disagree, you, you can disagree. I mean, it's there for everyone to see. I looked at it and I said, well, given what Martini explained prior to 9-11, that kind of looked like what happened, and that's all there is to it. I mean, as far as I'm concerned. But go ahead, Jim, your thoughts? Keith, when I look, when I look at it, what I see is that it, the the – Flight Flight 175 was what the plane that that uh, they say flew. I just use that for a, a reference point. Right. The plane that flew into the South Tower. When you look at where it, how it entered into the tower, and it didn't go directly like like it was through. Like if it went on an angle, it was a, it was actually the tip. It was a tip. It wasn't like it went right into the center of the tower. That plane flew on an angle and hit what would you'd have to you'd have to look at this. To, it's hard for me to describe, but you know, the one of the engines actually, you can see in the chronicle that I captured. It it, it is an engine. It ends up going through the through the towers. Yeah. What I'm what I'm saying is is that uh, that it, it wasn't like a, it wasn't at like the first tower where it went right into where you got something whatever it was you know went right into the tower like directly the whole side of the tower. This was the corner of the south tower. It wasn't uh, directly. In the center, it was in. It was actually on the corner. So, um, the, it something did make its way through, and I. I they, it was several years later they discovered this engine. Now, you know, if we're to believe that it was the engine, well, I saw something. You can see it in the chronicle that could very well have been one of the engines off of the plane. It ends up landing in in between two buildings, and they discover it. You know, years later. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah. But uh, what I meant by that is that. Uh, it, it didn't. Uh, it just went through the corner, that cor- the corner of the South Tower. And my, do, do you guys understand what I'm what I'm what I'm getting at here too? I do. Anyway. No, I mean, but see, the thing I think also, a lot of things went wrong. And of course, when the government comes out with explanations, those who are not given to think the government is dirty will accept it. So there it is. No, you can't make sense with people who believe the government will lie to them. That that's the end of it. You know, game set match. Forget about it. Um. But you know, what I don't understand is both towers were hit by planes. The, the, the uh, tower that was hit first stands longer than the tower that was hit last. And I still contend that, and as you mentioned, Jim, mm-hmm. you can see that there is a section, perhaps 30 floors up, that looks like it's starting to lean. And then the whole of, of tower, South Tower collapses. If it was mm-hmm. fire that did all this damage, why would the the tower that got hit first and had this fire working longer 
not drop the, t the North Tower first. The South Tower gets hit last and collapses first. I don't know. Explain that to me. I, I, I can't. You know, all I can <laughs> all I can address is vis viscerally what I felt and what I said at the moment is I didn't believe for a moment that those planes took down the towers. I said I said it in the Chronicle. I said they must have had, you know, I, I use the word instead of charges. I say bombs uh, planted in the buildings just in case they didn't go down. Or, you know, I, that's what I was thinking the whole time. Like, man, they 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 made those things come down. Uh, I, that uh, that wasn't done by the plane. I never once I never once thought that. What, you know how they've explained this over the years. You know what I mean. And everybody's on board. It seems, and the the masses are on board with this. That the weight of the of what was above the hit, you know, brought it down. It was weakened, and the area burnt, and it brought it down. I never, but I never. I don't know. It just uh, I, that didn't enter into my mind, and uh, I I don't know. I, I I I still don't. I still don't believe it. Obviously, we're here talking about it now. I don't believe it, and I, I trust my I trust my my what I said in the moment, and I think there were a lot of people that were. I know there. I know there were a lot of people. We even had people that were uh, coming out down in Texas. There was a demolition uh, team down there, professionals, and they were like, "No way, man! Was that the planes? That is de that was demolition." And they recanted what they said within a day. You know, they they must have had somebody contact them from. You know what I mean? Uh, who knows? I'm talking from the feds, man. And they were like, "You better change your story." But uh, All right. I that. Um, <clears throat> let's go to the you second know, clip. Okay, I'm sorry, oh, Michael. Get. Oh, I, you know, carrying with the, this, the building is going down and all that is. And another great mystery is how they basically turned to dust. Did you notice wow. that? Wow. Look. I mean, if you think about if you really look at it, they turned to dust. And so, what happened? What was they really? What were they using to bring it down? And the other question: We don't have to do this now, but uh, you think about it, Jim. What kind of plane did you see? It, we have the plane. Look, yeah, I, I mean, I, when I, when I'm asked about it uh, by of a friend that lives underneath me, he comes up to he's he's taking pictures with a 35 millimeter. I see him on the periphery of my eye on the fire escape below me. You know, he's on the third story, and I'm like, hey, Roberto, and we're talking and. I'm like, man, that plane looked like a, you know, it looked like a, a small plane. You know, it wasn't a, it was a small plane. I think I might have used the word Cessna. Did I, did I, Keith? Did I use the word Cessna? Are you there, Keith? There. Can you hear? Uh, we can't hear Keith. <laughs> we oh, no. <laughs> uh, you're still here. That's good. So he's, did he, did he call you in or did you call it yourself? Then? Keith. He called. He called me and well, what do you, what would you like me to do? Oh, that's all right. We'll keep on talking until he maybe he uh, got a phone call or something. Yeah, I did. I'm, all right, thank you. I'm sorry. I told you I might have to. We're, I'm back. What what was the question okay. directed to me or what? Thank you, Keith. I was just uh, I was just wondering. Do you remember me mentioning this to uh, to my neighbor that when I was describing what happened after the South Tower went down? We're talking there for a minute. There's a moment. And I, 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 I described what happened. I, I think I did say that it was a small plane. What I saw, it would look like a, a small plane, and I might have used the word even Cessna. Did I use a... You okay. <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> and I tell you, we can laugh about this now, and that's fine. It's, it's water under the bridge. But, yes, sir. Um, I, I, had, I had played 
for all everyone's consumption. That um, that that um, sorry, I'm a little distracted. That James said, you know, and of course he's all panicked. So he's like, well, that that wasn't you know any any regular plane. He said because it was it looks like a Cessna, and then he realized that's too small. But the point was clear that it certainly wasn't a 747. And that was said also by other people after the fact that they didn't think it was a regular commercial airliner because it wasn't. So yes, you did say you you use the word Cessna, which everybody understands was was too too small. Yes, but the yes, point was clear right. that you did not believe that it was a regular seven four seven. I remember describing it to other to other folks. You know, I talked to carefully, you know, very gingerly. The eyes like um tentatively. I'm gonna say it. I was like, you know how it was talking about nine eleven after things had happened. Everybody's like afraid to even talk. They're like, you they don't want to think that uh you know your neighbor you don't want your neighbor to think you're subversive or uh but uh I, I remember saying I was like it looked like a military plane to me. Well you got the CNN call from one of their employees that wasn't faked and he was like that's nothing I ever saw in a commercial airliner hangar or anything like that. That's how that went. You have other people that were videoed at the time. But here's the bit. The no-planers are like, well, nobody saw it hit because they don't know anybody who saw it hit. That means nobody saw it hit. But there are others that have. You know, I shared the experience with my brother-in-law who saw it hit. How, what I heard somewhere near, what, 850, which wasn't any jet or wasn't anything not regular that flies over New Jersey. And where I was in, was in New Milford, just so everybody can fix where that is. All right? And the flight path goes to the west, no doubt about it. But it didn't have a stick necessarily the whole way through to make the turn as they usually do in Sparta, New Jersey. Whatever went overhead was over, was low. But that's where it's that's where it stands. My brother-in-law sees the second hit. Couldn't care less about conspiracies. Doesn't care about anything. He just knows what he saw and he got his ass out of Manhattan as fast as possible. All right, you guys go ahead with you. Here's the thing: you cannot prosecute. You cannot conduct any kind of indictment against anything using YouTube. One, you have to assume that everybody that's supposedly the good guys hasn't tampered with the video. Nobody knows. You're dealing with at least second and perhaps third generation video. Some of it's compressed. Some of it's fuzzy. I see all these things that are waged on YouTube, proving this and proving that. You could not get a conviction. You could not get an indictment based on what people are showing on YouTube. It is not to be believed. And let me bring you back to 1963. Everybody remembers the Zapruder film. Nobody knows how many versions were there and messed with. God knows how many versions of uh, that particular video is out there. But here's the thing I want to know. How in the world, with everybody that was dropping on the ground, on the grassy knoll, and across the street, everybody in the world is diving to the ground, and Zapruder is standing there filming this? You catch wow. my drift? There's a little That's something it. screwy with that, but by the time they got that millimeter, what, what was it at that time, 8 millimeter or 16 millimeter, they go ahead and they made so many versions of it that you don't even know what the original was like. And certainly, like I said, I don't know how one guy can stand there on that grassy knoll and not dive. I mean, if you were deaf, you'd still have to be blind. You know, I mean, if you didn't hear the bullets whizzing by your ears, you'd have to, I mean, you should at least see, gee, people are falling down. So there's another thing you have no idea about, but you cannot 
hold court on YouTube video. That's, uh, you know, don't even tell me about that. You know, Keith and Michael, I, I thought that that would be something. Look, I knew when I released this thing, I waited nine years after 9-11 to release it. I knew when I, when I released it that I was going to have a responsibility with this. I just couldn't go, oh, just release it. No, I knew I was going to have to keep hold of it. I was going to have to have autonomy with this thing because I didn't want anybody coming to me and saying, no, it's been tampered with. I wanted this thing to be that, like, hey, man, it's kind of, this is, this, you, want, you want a copy of it? Here's a copy of it. All right. Yeah, it's from my hand. This is what I thought that 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 makes sense exactly what you're talking about, doesn't it, Keith? Yeah, and I, I, want, I just want to hold off because again, these idiots come on and pronounce that everything is no good. It, it is. I mean, and, and people are supposed to assume that they've taken the high ground. Why? Were they good guys? I mean, it's okay that all of us in the conspiracy field are, you know, suspect, are skeptics. That's fine. But you bring it to a point where it isn't just about finding the truth, it's about obscuring the truth, and that's what I accuse Fetzer and these other characters for doing. Personally, I don't care. Here's my point. The bottom line was 9-11 was pulled off to advance totalitarianism in the United States, period. All these characters that want to go back and deal with, was it exotic weaponry? Oh, there were no planes? Oh, nobody died that day, too. I mean, that's how weird it's getting. They're not even human beings. I mean, I've never seen anything like this. It's beyond, like, they all should be in a freaking institution. It gets carried away. And you know what that's about? That's about obscuring and denigrating the true conspiracy researchers who are trying to get the information out. This besmirches everything. And Fetzer is the head on that thing, without a doubt. I've been through no planes with Nico Hopped and all the other ones from 9-11 Truthers from New York City. Don't even tell me about it, man. Don't even tell me about it. All right, listen, but I want to go back to dealing with these characters afterwards because it is the most unpleasant part of this. Can we go to clip three with the ladder company seven talking about what they thought was going on? This is New York fire department. Okay. Here we go. We made it outside. We made it about a block. We made it at least two blocks and we started Okay. Still there? Yeah. Yeah. Still there? Were you able to hear that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a little loud, but the point was that I think everybody has seen this uh, video, or at least heard the audio, where the the, the guys who have survived in Ladder Company 7 were talking about, well, you know, it was like they detonated, boom, boom, boom. What do you think it was? I mean, out of the mouth of babes. Sorry, that's what it was. So, you know, we have no comp- we have no problem with that. But lastly, I'd like to get this in because it's the longest cut, but it should never be forgotten. And if it's okay with, with Jim and Michael, can we listen to Pat Dawson, a NBC Channel 4 New York reporter, Giving what, giving to the the guys working the desk or or the uh, anchors, what he found about what was going on and why you'll never hear that again. Would that be okay with everybody? Sure, please.
chief told us that they were at that point about, I'd say, 40 minutes ago, uh, about to make a decision on whether or not it was safe to send emergency workers back in there. But the bottom line is that according to the chief of safety of the New York City Fire Department, he says that he probably lost a great many men in those secondary explosions, and he said that there were literally hundreds, if not thousands of people in those two towers when the explosions took place. He said everything above the 60th floor was extremely difficult to get to, as you can imagine. Well, you still there, John? Yeah, couldn't say it any better myself. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, uh, that was pretty powerful testimony. Yeah, it was. Think, uh, <laughs> yeah. Secondary uh, <laughs> explosions. How many did he say that? How many firemen actually died? It was 100, 250, close to? Let me just ask you guys something, though, too. I don't know if I was clear enough about this, because I think it really is indicting, and it was in the New York Times. But do you understand what I mean about firemen talking to their superiors alive and well in a building that within one more second is supposedly dropped by inferno fire? So let me get this straight. These guys aren't burnt to a crisp, though the building is. Am I okay with that? <laughs> Jeez. I mean, seriously. You know, wow. I mean, I, I just don't understand how people can read that and say, okay, let me get this straight. There's this communication going, it stops, they're alive, and then all of a sudden the whole building burns down because it's a inferno. So how come those guys were just like talking and not dead? It, 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 it's, I don't know. It's mind blowing. At any rate. It is um, mind blowing. And, and like I said, Let's remember something, too, and this is going to lead into one of the anomalies that Jim spoke about um, and probably probably got my article about him thrown out of American Freedom Press. Isn't that great? Mm. American Freedom Press. Yeah, okay, we don't like this article because this is what he said. All right, thank you. Yeah, you're on the good guys list. Yeah, the hell you are. At any rate, um, let, let me lay this out. Um, there were a lot of mistakes made at 9-11. At, at Ground Zero, there were mistakes made at Shanksville, and there certainly was an absolute abortion at the Pentagon. But what they want to do is keep the attention, and even the bad guys in the good guy sector like Fetzer and these others and Jones, want everybody to just continue to keep their eyes on the World Trade Centers, not deal with Shanksville, not deal with the Pentagon like Craig, Craig Ranke has done. They were they, they were botched. They were completely botched. So they don't want anybody going there. So they keep trying to keep it on the towers because of obviously the the I mean the magnitude of that collapse and how it just absolutely blows people's sensory perception away. Um, but but let's get to some of the anomalies. Now, if they're remote planes, they got to be controlled from somewhere. Nobody really knows where this all happens, but we know that the remote control seven forty sevens. Whatever the, the the major airlines were at the time, the Army was using them all the time, flown remotely and crashing them to see about safety of planes and how they could increase survival. Okay, that's technology from 88. Um, where, where we're going to at this point is, I, I've always been intrigued by this, and I listen to it time and time again. I'm going to ask you to take it away, Jim, but at some point, you saw a dirigible in proximity to where you were, and then you mentioned later on the tape 
Where did it go? Will yes. You pick, will yes. you explain that to us? You know, I've been ridiculed about it. There, there are a few people that have uh, been able to watch it, and um, they think it's really amusing. But uh, I was certain of it that I did see a blimp. I am certain that I did. And uh, it was a, it was above. Uh, it was too. It would have been to the south of the towers, and it would have been over like the Barisano Bridge, in that area. All right, let me from ask where you, I was. All right, let me ask you this: from where you first perceived it, and when you asked where to go, when you when you first perceived it, again, where was it in conjunction to where you were in Jersey City? Yes, I'm. I'm looking at the towers, and you know, to, I'm, I'm to the west of the towers, and I'm looking at the towers. So it would have been. It would have been uh, to to the south of the South Tower and above above the South Tower, up high. It wasn't low because I, when I said the Verrazano Bridge, I was just that was just to give you an, an idea of where about it was. And then up high though, it was up high. I could see it. I could see it, and I uh, and I wanted to capture it. I was on the towers, and I wanted to move the camera up and capture it. But at the time, I didn't want to. I, I was real careful because I just knew. I don't know how I knew, but I did, that uh, both of those towers were going to go down. All right, so you're saying that, that at the very southern point, the, the blimp yes. is original was north of the Verrazano Bridge. And for people who want to know the lay of the land there, the Verrazano Bridge connects Staten Island with New Jersey. I would say it's probably, what, four miles due south of the, of the uh, Statue of Liberty. Can we agree on that? Yes, sir. All right. So you saw it down there, but then you turned away, you kept your eyes trained as well as the video on what was going on right across from you. And at some point, I don't know, maybe, I don't even remember what it was, whether it was like four or five minutes. You look again, I guess, off camera, like the camera's still where it's supposed to be. You look off it and say, where did it go? Exactly. And that's because and I was, you still had, though, you still had one of your friends in the apartment with you, right? Uh, you know, I, I'm not sure who was there. Uh, okay. You know, I'm not sure if I was alone. Um, I'm not sure, Keith. All right. right now. So, at any rate, you know what you saw. I mean, you can't fake a dirigible. I mean, it's either there or it's not. But you see, here's the thing that strikes me: is that that would that dirigibles are not uncommon sights in that area, mainly because they do a lot of like MetLife. They do a lot of uh, advertising over the the Meadowlands, over Giant Stadium with the Jets and the Giants playing home, Monday Night Football, you know, you always see the blimp up there, blah, blah, blah. And also, they moor dirigibles in Teterboro, right? That's where they go to land. So it's, there is a port there for that to happen. In the course of everything, it was not unusual to see, you know, a blimp around because the thing that we used to do is like, oh, there's a blimp. I guess there must be some kind of event, like there'd be a a Grand Prix or something like that, you know, in the Meadowlands. So we, when we saw the blimp, we said, okay, there's got to be something going on. It wasn't that big a deal. But for you to see something like that, it isn't all that, it isn't all that crazy because if these planets are being remotely flown, they have to be done from someplace, somewhere, I would assume in proximity, uh, you know, to wherever they're being um, controlled. Yes. You know, I don't know these things. No, I mean, nobody really knows these things. But, but the dirigible doesn't sound crazy to me because of the remote nature of the planes and because it's in that metropolitan area. Um, all right, so, I mean, I had no problem with that. Apparently, American Freedom Press did. 
okay, fine, so the article doesn't run. But again, it used to piss me off because, you know, it's things like this that are different that they wanted, and yet when it got too different, they backed away from it, which only shows me that they don't have a set of balls either. So, you know, and eventually I left their their uh, service, uh, and happily so. All right, now another thing that you mentioned, this gets a little bit strange, and yet when I mentioned this to, to uh, like, uh, Adam Go-Rightly and, and uh, and uh, Andy Colvin, Colvin said, you know, that report is kind of like common in a lot of strange sightings, because uh, Colvin is kind of like UFO-ish, and so is uh, Adam Go-Rightly. And yet, your former partner, on Mm-hmm. who is very conservative, corroborated what you said, because at some point while you're panning up and down, you pick up some kind of metallic orb from yes, the sir. north yes, that just goes flying by, and then there's all kinds of birds that are all over the place, so you really can't see too much. Can you tell us mm-hmm. what that was about? And you guys had been watching that for a while, hadn't you? Or you had? I, yes, uh, you know, I, was, I was extrapolating stills from the Chronicle and... It just so happened we were we were uh, looking at uh, the first generation, you know, copy. You know what I mean? And it was it's a really good copy. It's like a screen. You could screen this copy. It's how it's a really good good one. And I uh, hold on a second. Sure Jim. Hold on a second. Jim. Sure. Michael, are you still there? We Michael? lost him, huh? Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? Oh, great. That's okay. No, I just saw that Southwest Florida has hung up. There could be only one or two people, and it ain't me, so that's okay. Yeah, no I just muted myself, that's all. All right, no problem. I, I, yeah, Jim, I, I, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, this, you know, well, on on was, uh, you know, he's looking through these stills just randomly, try, you know, c- capturing stills, and he captures this uh, orb, you know, and it's, uh, it is actually north of the towers, up, uh, you know, from where we are, the vantage, it would be, it would be uptown. It would be up towards the, you know, uh, just a little south of the George Washington Bridge. And, you know, at first you look at it and you're thinking, well, maybe that's something to do with the lens. You know, lens on the camera, is it a refraction? And this thing, this thing just out of nowhere, watching the video, it's standing still, an orb, and it just suddenly darts. The camera is completely still, and this thing darts, poosh. At a speed, I don't, I, and I follow, oh, and actually, I follow it, which is so weird that I didn't even comment on it, but I follow this orb, and it's, I don't know how fast this thing was moving, from standing still to just taking off and going down, you know, towards the area, you know, south where the towers were, and out of sight, but uh, it was absolutely, it was so extraordinary, it was frightening, actually, you know, it was just so weird, it was like, I don't know. It's just very, but, and, yeah. But the thing is, it's that, you know, you told me about it, and even on said, yeah, you might want to look at this because it's kind of strange. But that was a strange day. And if people mm-hmm. can believe it was exotic weaponry that helped bring the towers down, and I'm okay with that, really. I, it, it's just that it wasn't fire. That's all I know. It wasn't fire. Uh, then what was going on up and down the Hudson? Because, again, if we have remotes, I don't know how this all works. But remember something else that we had at least two, perhaps three, unmarked aircraft in Shanksville as this supposed 93 went down and, and like, just scooted itself in his little hole, uh, what is what now known as the Shanksville Crater, was one of those planes, something that controlled that. The Pentagon? No. Craig Ranke's right. No aircraft hit that building. None. That CGI that we see is just that. It did not happen. 
Everybody thinks that a plane impacted it, but Ranky, and you're going to have to do the wet work if you want to see what's going on with him. I'm not going to explain it here. That guy is the best 9-11 researcher of any venue anywhere. And the reason he is being scorned is because he's blowing everybody else's lack of research, will, and results. There are dirty people on the good side of the street. He's not one of them, and yet he's been excoriated by them. Check out Craig Ranke. Check out Citizens Investigation Team, and you'll find out exactly what happened at uh, the Pentagon. The reason I bring this up, no aircraft at the Pentagon. Aircraft in 93, yes, there was. It was a remote. It wasn't 93. Okay, it wasn't the real uh, United Airlines 93. Uh, we have aircraft at the towers. If they're remote, they got to be controlled. I don't know how that goes, but there's got to be something around. So you have three aircraft possibly in Shanksville. You're talking about a dirigible down in the south of New York Bay and whatever this thing was going on up there. I, I didn't have to mention that. I could have stayed free of that. And of course, that would be a loony factor that would not be, a, you know, that you would be charged with because of, you know what I mean? I could have stayed away from it. But that's what happened. And you had it on the video. All right, be that as it may. One last thing, too, as far as this goes. You have this on, I think, the block spot. This is something else that pissed me off about these uh, supposed uh, righteous video uh, analyses um, technicians. It is strange, but it was a strange day. Do you remember filming as you as you moved around? You had the white smoke trailing to the southeast of the yes. towers. Mm -hmm. And in that trail, I would say probably a mile or two away, I would guess, and it's on the, you had a still of that, a mushroom cloud pops up from the stream. Yes. Are you? Are yeah. we agreed on this? It is a mushroom cloud. Oh yes, and it's a. Uh, I'm really. It's, yeah, it's a. Look, uh, um, you know, I, Keith, what, what do you what what do you think of that? Well, here's my point. Here's what pissed me off. I I, I engaged without you knowing years later from when we last spoke. I'm looking at these guys, you know, ripping everything, and I'm like, well, what's wrong with Kosha's video? Tell me what's wrong with Kosha's video. And they're like, well, they didn't. Why did it take ten years? I said that's got nothing to do with the video. That's exculpatory to this whole thing, you jackass. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard, and I hear it all the time, which tells me where you guys are at. You aren't honest brokers, and don't tell me you are. You're not taking a high ground on me. It was a strange day. Yes, here comes this smoke. Do you think that Kosher stopped and wanted to go ahead and enter in something, uh, edit in something? That was something that people are going to go, what the hell was that? Why would he do that? I'm saying who knows what was going on with regard to explosives and incendiaries. And you got to admit, I mean, Jim, it is weird, but that's what it was. Yes. Did, did you gentlemen expand on that a little more about this mushroom cloud? Where did you see this? And, All right. Uh, with time. I, I just want to say one thing, and I'll give it to Jim. This isn't yeah. like the mushroom atomic bomb cloud. This is something that's really kind of small that just emanates from this train of smoke going to the southeast. And it looks to me that it's well across the Hudson River, but don't think it's like the A-bomb thing. It is smaller. And then, Jim, I'll, I'll just throw it to you. Yeah, you know, um, it, are we all here? Yep. 
Yep. Okay. What what it is, Michael? It's um, you know, I I look, I I I'm by I think it, what what it was is whatever um maybe the fuel it could have been that was in the plane. I don't know. See, I I don't know. I don't know. But uh, you see the mushroom cloud initially when it goes, it doesn't uh, it doesn't pronounce itself like it does until it gets uh, until the the cloud of dust or smoke whatever is moving to the south and then it it comes up out of you see that it emerges then out of the uh out of the uh smoke um it's really bizarre you you, you see it uh, you'll see you'll see the trail of smoke and it's a good i don't know the distance keith would you say it's a could it be a qu- could it be a quarter half a mile from the towers well anyway you, uh, all right i'll tell you what if people go to the link i don't know if if uh, michael posted it if not they can look at it later it is on your uh, Tuesday morning in September dot blogspot dot com. If you scroll okay. down, Michael has a, I'm sorry, James has a skill still uh, quoted as mushroom cloud. If you look at what he's shooting at, it is certainly coming toward New Jersey, and I would say that it's probably over New Jersey, or certainly closer to the Jersey side of the Hudson than it is from the towers. Now again, you know, you got a foreground background kind of thing going. But this thing is well away from the towers, which say to you, which makes you think, well, how could that happen? Mm-hmm. I, I asked the same question, but it happened. Who knows what in the world might have just been triggered as this stuff, this junk is flowing from the towers yeah. over to the Jersey side. And you have a caption that says a mushroom cloud came out of the second tower when it was hit. I don't know how fa- I don't know how fast that stuff had a stream, uh, the clouds that is on a day which didn't really have all that much wind, but it certainly had wind because you could see the smoke went into a direction south. I'm sorry, it wasn't southeast; it was southwest of the towers. Mm-hmm. It's heading to New Jersey and south of Jersey City. And I got to admit, there it is. It emanates from this smoke plume that is thick and probably now at this point two to three miles long. I mean, the river itself at that point is probably one plus miles wide. Yeah, I can see what you're saying. It's coming. Is it, is it coming out of the the uh, the smoke coming from the towers? Yeah, it's, it's coming out of the smoke, not the towers. That's weird. But the, but the thing is, my point is, it was a strange day with a lot of stuff going on that we have no idea exists. Why would Jim throw this thing in as a bell and whistle? And on an edit, if it raised that much, I mean, in other words, he'd have to be an idiot to throw this in for some kind of bang and whistle effect. He just was filming stuff. Nobody knows. But why do it if you think you're going to be challenged on it? It doesn't make any sense. Hmm. And, uh, and so that's the th- that, those are the three things that were strange that day. The ridgeable in New York Bay, the orb, whatever the hell that was about, and then this thing. But that's what it was, and you didn't. You didn't uh, excise it out of the video, and you certainly didn't edit it in. I mean, too bad that you opened up the lens for the most part and just let it go. That's what you did. Hey, I got a question for you, Jim. Uh, you, you said that you heard or saw jets, right? Jet yes, uh, five, five, different, five different times you can hear fighter jets going over, like doing flyovers in the airspace that we were in. And uh, what did you see jet fighters at all prior to this? Yeah, you, no, I mean, I'm, no, no. You know, this is this is really a, a 
I, I, look, I'm not exaggerating. If I say it's a, if I say it's an hour after the North Tower struck, I'm not exaggerating. It, it was that. Lo- it was. The, no, matter of fact, yeah, the South Tower may have already gone down before the fly, before those fighter jets flew over. But then, but then you hear them, you know, over the next uh, 45 minutes, five different times they're going over. Yeah. All right. One of the listeners, the guest, wants to know uh, what your feelings, your gentlemen, your feelings are about Judy Wood. You're asking me? Yeah, well, either one of you are both, you know what I mean? Uh, (laughs) Keith, I'll I'll tell you what. All right, look. Judy Wood, I think, is a sound citizen. There, There are two things that I think mitigate against her. Judy is not a real good presenter, if you know what I mean. She's she's not a stand-up, you know, kick-ass type of orator. That's not her fault. Judy's work, I think, is excellent. The other thing I don't like is that I think Fetzer used it like a puppet, and I really have a case of the ass against Fetzer. Yeah, but Judy a lot would, of us do. A lot of us yeah. do. No, he's no <laughs> good. He's no freaking not good. Trustworthy. He's not trustworthy at all, though. But just Judy would, you know, I think she did a good job, but her delivery, if you know what I mean, has opened her all kinds of ridicule. And let's remember, and again, I'm going to throw this back to you. Jeff Long was a guy who was on the show very frequently. He was involved with the Washington, D.C. Truthers, and he was involved with the Rock Creek uh, Creek Free Press. He said that, that, and I can't remember the guy's name, he got into this discussion, this question and answer, this interview with Judy Wood, and he kind of turned on her. And it, you know, unfortunately, it made Judy look really badly. Now, here's what Jeff Long told me, and I don't know the gentleman's name. I can find it later on. It's very much out there. If you go to YouTube, do Judy Wood and, I don't know, plus somebody. But he he told me this, and Long was a, was a straight shooter. Uh, Long said to me that that individual who kind of like was antagonistic toward Judy got into it with Fetzer at the Washington, I guess, D.C. press club, and they had this supposed dust-up. And Long said to me, and I do trust Jeff Long, he said, it looked like it was kind of like a WWF thing, like, are you guys really serious? And Long said he looked at the two of them as they parted, and he says, I I swear to God to you, he goes, they both had these little smirks on their face. He goes, and I came away from that thinking, that was all set up. That's all I'm going to tell you. Do I trust Jeff Long? Absolutely. Fetzer, no. So a long answer to your story. I think Judy Wood did a great job, uh, but you know the carrying capacity for her work uh, was not as supportive and as good as she was. And your thoughts, Michael? You've seen her. I mean, what do you think? Uh, I think she for very thought provoking. <laughs> <laughs> and you know the problem that I have, gentlemen, is my own personal ignorance of the the yeah. physics, the uh, technology, and et cetera. So I, uh, you know, the big question that uh, that she's helped many of us to to ask is, how do these buildings turn to dust? Exactly. I don't know. I have no idea. But I know one thing. I know one thing. I've never seen that before in my life. Nothing even come close to it. Even controlled demolitions don't look like that. Well, they may. So the thing is, they weren't blamed on being fired. That's the big deal. You know, as I wrote in the chat room, let's remember something. In 1991, 
Philadelphia's Meridian Plaza burned for 19 hours. They pulled the firemen out of there fearing, one, it collapse. They said they feared a collapse, and the smoke was too thick, and the fire was too damn hot. They had already lost two firemen. They pulled everybody out, and what happened the next day? The, the steel uh, uh, beams that sagged but did not break. The concrete cracked but did not fall. And the, and the building stood there after burning for 19 hours because eventually the uh, uh, sprinklers put the fire out. Okay, now, do you remember there was a Madrid skyscraper after 9-11 that burnt for like 24 hours? And what was left was the steel skeleton. You know, everything was gone, but the steel skeleton remained. So our point is, you cannot turn skyscrapers, steel beams, and concrete all into powder. Cannot do it with fire. Sorry. No, you can't. No. And when I say controlled demolition, I'm saying a controlled demolition that I have been familiar with. I can't think of anything that they can do what they did. So. Yeah. And there's nothing about this, this orb thing, and uh, I don't know, if, if, Jim, have you <laughs> any kind of research on it? And uh, I'm not the, uh, I, I, you know, I've done a little research on drones, and hey, by the way, you can buy yourself a home drone if you yeah, want. You so, that's, that's a ball. That's a ball. It's an orb that goes and makes all these, these amazing moves in your house. And so that, you know, one would naturally assume that the government already had this sort of technology sure. long before it became uh, exposed to the public as a toy for your home or for, you know, if you want to go uh, – to the park and fly it around and take pictures. So, was it a drone? I don't know. There's a lot of questions. The biggest question, hey, I, I, you know, the, the, I guess the biggest and most important question is why and how can our own government be so wicked and evil? Wow, wow, that's hard. That's hard to get your mind around, and I. I <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it, it is. It's the biggest. It, you know, it makes me think of uh, uh, one of the things that of scripture is it makes me think of uh, uh, Romans chapter one, and it talks about uh, uh, reprobate minds, and uh, and verse uh, thirty-one is it or no? It's thirty. 29, it says, being filled with all unrighteousness and fornication, wickedness, covetousness, and maliciousness, full of envy, murder, deceit, debate, deceit, malignity, and whistle, uh, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. Okay. Anyway, the important thing is the inventors of, dis of evil things. That makes, you know, it makes me think of, you know, uh, is the Inquisitions and the, uh, you know, if you look at all the, the different contraptions that these men use to torture people and murder them and slaughter them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is a curse that's been with us well, since Adam. You know, how wicked humanity actually is. It's yeah, hard for us to, to fathom. It's hard oh. for me to fathom it because I don't ever, you know, I've been mad with people. I've been very, you know, things that happen to me just, you know, if you've been on the planet as long as we have, you're going to have some bad things happen, you know. 
I've never in my my life ever wanted to murder somebody. I can't, you know, I'm thinking, what are the police that the fire chief must have been thinking? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you imagine how devastated he must have been when he finally put all the pieces together. Mm. And we didn't have to put all the pieces. You just put just a few of them together and realize that he and his men were set up. Let me interject something that Matthew Tartaglia said, who was in on the second day with search and rescue out of Pennsylvania. He said, I was down in ground zero. He said, and I saw burly, tough, courageous firemen approached by men in suits. And when they got done talking to him, he said, I saw them go gray. All right? Um, Those firemen in Ladder Company 7 and other places were told, you run your mouth, you have no job, and guess what? You don't have a pension. And if that doesn't work, and I'm not kidding you, then what you do is you get in the mail pictures of your wife and your children at the supermarket. You dig? They're not going to say anything. I'll tell you what. Elizabeth Glick, who is the widow of Jeremy Glick, who was supposedly on Flight 93, uh, and who was brought out kind of as the poster babe uh, for you know having a young child. Of course, now she's a widow. Uh, she had certain stern words, the last that she ever spoke about what took place. The Jersey girls, Kristen Breitweiser, uh, if I have that first name correctly, never really played ball with everyone else. There's a lot of people that know what happened. And he also took the money from the government to shut up, and they will. The, the other employees were told, dummy up, or guess what, things happened. I was in touch with a group of firemen who were suing for uh, more coverage for what they assumed would eventually be cancer. And I had two guys that were willing to come on. They were decent individuals. They laid out their cases on the net. And in the end, they said, I can't come on. And that's the way that went. All right. I I looked at this one 9-11 supposedly Mythbuster site. And the brainiac there said, well, if it was a conspiracy, then why by this time hasn't some of those who were involved in it come out? Why, jerk? Do you think 15 years matters any more than 10 or 5? If you've been warned and you got a deal struck, you ain't opening your mouth, or guess what? You'll be, you'll be dead from five self-inflicted gunshot wounds, a suicide. Stop. All right? I mean, that, that's their big card they play. Well, why didn't some of them come out? If you signed on to the conspiracy, you stay with the conspiracy. Otherwise... You know, like I said, you're going to wind up in the canal. So so that, that's what you have. And this has been going on forever. People told to shut up, and if they don't shut up, they die. Or even worse than that, they get financially ruined, and, you know, nobody hears from ever again. And you know that the media is not going to put out any whistleblower when it comes to things as serious as 9-11 or Pearl Harbor or whatever. Oh, later on, they may come out when nobody cares anymore. Two generations have gone by. You know, but I saw the same stuff with Pearl after the fact. And the same stuff with the Lusitania after the fact. In fact, the other day I had a laugh because they did a History Channel thing of the Lusitania, and they finally admitted, well, uh, yeah, the Germans only shot one torpedo, so the second explosion probably was uh, the munitions they weren't supposed to be carrying. Well, thank you. Well, that happened back in what, 1915? Great. It only took you how long? 101 years to come out and say something stinks. Same thing here. And it goes on and on and on, and it never changes. What do you think? The government isn't going to change its spots. They are a satanic corporation, like I was talking to Jim the other day about. When when Satan tells Christ, hey, all these governments, those that were, those that are, and those will be, are all mine. 
to give to whomever I wish. What folks do you need to know if you're Christians? What do you need to know about that? You don't have Christians in government. My God, everybody's a Christian in government. So my point is, you're dealing with demonic people who sold themselves out. And that's our politicians. So do you understand that the corporation doesn't care? It's above the law? And it kills who it wishes to kill. If it's, if it's, if, if it expe- if it's expeditious to their purposes, they will off you. And I don't mean to go on this thing all the time, but what don't you people understand about what your government is? It's garbage. Republican, Democrat, it doesn't matter. You get screwed every freaking four years, you idiots. Get over it. This is the way it is. Ah, don't give me that Thomas Jefferson bullshit, which it was. Understand what you're dealing with and understand that you have a savior and a world after for which to live. You want justice on this earth? Forget about it. You want natural rights on this earth? Forget about it. But you get something better than all the others do, but you don't embrace it. Instead, you want to try to use the law against the law, thinking that if you can get the Constitution back, you'll be okay. Oh, Christmas, will you really be serious? I'm, I'm done. <laughs> well, I, I, listen, I, I, I totally agree with you. you know, it's, uh, I've come to this realization, you know, this journey. You know, the show is called Nothing But the Truth, One Man's Journey to Find It. And I really have come to the, I, you know, as I've mentioned before, Keith is the one, along with Gordo, uh, were the ones who really got me thinking about even our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and, and uh, falling my face and praying and, uh, and, and um, along, and also, of course, Christ Himself. Uh, you know, our, no man come to the Father except through, through the Son, and I'm going to to Christ unless God, you know, draws Him. Mm-hmm. So, God's involved in all this too. And so, I put my faith, my money in Jesus Christ. I'm not putting my money in man because, uh, uh, you know, this <laughs> is just just. Uh, one thing after another that just demonstrates how absolutely foolish and foolhardy it is to put our faith in men, governments, even our own government. You know, and it's it's a hard pill to swallow. It really is. And I think for a lot of people it is. And I I have a lot of empathy and compassion for people who are keeping their mouths shut because I you know they're dreadfully afraid. And I think there's something for you know. There's a peace that comes on a man when they've come to know the Lord, and uh, the Lord uh, starts, you know, the part of spirit on you, and the comforter and his strength, and you no longer fear like you used to. You no longer worry about what other people feel, so um, or think, or what they may do, because you know our hope and our is in our Lord, Savior Jesus Christ, what He has to offer. So, but Michael, I want to ask Jim something, but the thing is also. The thing is, is that if you understand the relationship of, of those who follow Jesus Christ and the secular state, you understand that you would, should not expect any kind of sucker, um, any kind of um, comfort from that. You're not going to get it. That's why I don't look anymore to the government to be a cure to whatever ills are there, because they create the ills. Um, and so that's what I mean. Even above all else, don't look to the government to be your savior. And having said that, Jim, I want to ask you, you were, you were not saved at the time of 9-11, is that correct? No, no, I was a weak, weak believer, but, okay. uh, yes. But, but let me ask you this, and don't, you know, don't play to the question, because I don't mean to be that, you know, I don't mean to be leading in that sense. 
But, I mean, after that transpired and whatever events took place in your life, and I've shared mine with, with uh, Michael, um, did you start to realize that, again, uh, the government, and you were in the Air Force, and you saw some funky stuff, which you're not going to talk about, but did you start to realize that there is no other salvation, there is no safe haven except for the Lord? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm, I'm listen, listening to you guys. I'm so interested in everything you have to say. And, you know, I, I had to, I had the thought about not only when you were, uh, Mike, when you were talking about the about the fire chief, you know, about about them realizing what had happened, you know, what all of their men who, you know what I mean, were murdered that day. Um, I was thinking then about all of the men and women, young, our, our national treasure, these young men and women who honorably rushed to the recruiter's office, and they signed up, man. They were, they were one, they, they were one to be a part of, you know, uh, fulfilling justice, being a part of, you know, uh, what, what they perceived, what they were exploited. You know, that was a catalyst, 9-11. There was a bait and switch, what they ended up in Iraq. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that? You know, you're in Iraq. You're like, what does this have to do with, uh, with what they told us? And, um, you know, they, they served, you know, I, I it's just, um, it's hard, it's hard to, it's hard to get your mind around that. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. you know, it's been a perpetual, we've been a perpetual war now since 9-11 and, uh, and we're yeah, not safer just, here for them fighting over there. No. Where, where, where are we? You, I, I'm curious. Do you, pers- how far are we from a full fledged military state right now? I mean, what would ha- uh, how close are we? Are we are we like a, a, a one what a day away or what are we? One incident happens, aren't we aren't we there right now, guys? Hello. That that um, that is a it is a, a popular belief that that is the case, and I'm sure that they will come. But the less sexy thing that is more pernicious is that most Americans can be eviscerated by a loss of their savings, um, their investments. What I suspect will happen, because you see, here's the thing. Martial law is impossible to implement across the United States. In local areas, yeah. That has happened before in American history. It will happen again. But if you think, you see, people have this idea, especially the patriot idiots, that there's going to be martial law from one coast to the other. It is impossible to do in a country this size with this much population. It'll be the same thing in Russia. No, it ain't going to happen this time. But here's what I'm saying. Your slavery or your, shall we say, imprisonment without bars can be affected by taking care of your assets in a week. The, let's, let's look at it. Most money now isn't even in, in promissory notes known as dollar bills. It's, it's bytes. It's zeros and ones in a computer. If you have an MP, EMP, or some kind of electronic event, it could wipe out everybody's savings. It could do the street. It could do the banking institutions, which I think they're going after more so than the street. That in itself would bring people to their knees in supplication to be helped. It would make them very malleable and prone to manipulation. The classic, here comes the stormtroopers down the street. It is very sexy. It's like dynamic. But where you could be hurt worse. Can you tell me how you could be worse, hurt worse than to have your money that you saved wiped out in a second. What do you do now? What do you do tomorrow? What, there's no supermarket to go to because it's all gone, you know, catawancus. You see what I mean? But yeah, what, I'm I also, 
what I'm suggesting is there'll come a time when, when war and bloodshed will come to this continent, which it never has happened before. That's the next one saved up for us. That's another whole deal. But what we're seeing now is greater state control, but there's always a reason for it. I mean, my particular bugaboo is the Affordable Health Care Act. I have never been alive in America where the government said, you've got to go out and buy this. It throws you out to the private sector where the wolves are waiting and they're telling you it's affordable health care. Like hell it is. They don't give a crap if you're covered. They know people like me are in the millions that will go ahead and pay it. And they got another revenue stream. If they really cared about me, they'd penalize me, take my money and put me in an unassigned risk class. You see what I'm saying? But they don't care. But I never saw government before demand the people in this United States to buy something for the private market. Never saw it before. It's the beginning of a lot that's to come. Through socialism or social perspectives, it doesn't make a difference. The state is becoming more and more encompassing. The state is your government. The state is your religion. The state is your mercantile system. And that's what we're headed for. It's totalitarianism. That's all the way you can say it. I don't care if you call it Marxism or whatever. The government becomes everything, and it's not government. It's just oligarchy. Does that make any sense? <laughs> yeah, it does. And, uh, <laughs> Are we getting a call from Toronto? <laughs> no, I don't. No, I'm not getting a call at all. Okay. Um, yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, you know, of course, you know, my I've been doing a lot of research uh, as far as the uh, the fourth and final beast. You know, empire as the Roman Empire, and we are simply just part of the Roman Empire. And what we're talking about is this Roman type of uh, uh, system, right? And um, our, and you know, what do you do about it? I mean, you know, I don't think the only answer I can find to all that is putting your faith in our Lord Savior Jesus Christ, and not in your your own abilities and your own. Uh, and of men, because uh, there's, there's there really is no other answer. I can't find any other answer. You know, it, it, you know, we're talking about EMPs and how they could just use that. You know, they don't even need that. They can use that as an excuse. All they have to do is just press a button, and you're gone. And it's gone. <laughs> Everything's computerized. You know what I mean? It's all numbers in the computer. So uh, that's the you know, who is protecting us? Is it them really? I don't think so. No, they fake it. They fake yeah. it. I mean, like I said, they're like abusive parents. One day, you know, they'll, they'll pet you and they'll soothe you and do all this stuff. And the next day, they'll kick the crap out of you. I mean, that's what we're seeing right now. And people keep going to the government to be their relief. And that's what they want you to do. But we're, let's put it this way. The good days in America are finished. America has been most prosperous. There's no two ways about it. We've all had a better, a better um, style of living than everyone else. That's because there were jobs and there was money. Now it's going the other way. We are being deliberately eviscerated by a thousand cuts. I mean, how in the world, for instance, I'm not going to go on harangue, but I mean, okay, let's, let me get this straight. We have less jobs month by month. It's, it, regardless of what they tell you about what's been added, they don't tell you about what was taken away. And we got a lot of catching up to do before we even reach the levels of 2008. Oh, so let's bring more immigrants and other people into the country. There's something wrong with this, this, this equation. And yet nobody talks about it. You can see what's happening now. This is why the presidential campaigns all resort, resort 
<clears throat> to mudslinging at each other because they don't want to talk about the issues that are really important, but people just think, well, okay, whoever wins will finally do it. No, they don't. I'll guarantee you this. Whoever wins this election as the president will talk about balancing the budget for three months, and that'll be the end of it. <laughs> and we're just going to pile up more debt. And people keep going back to the same thing. It's the old story. People are like Charlie Brown. They think Lucy will, will not pull the football away. This goes on four years after four years, and every four years, Charlie Brown tries to kick the football, and Lucy pulls it away. Duh, what's wrong with this picture? And, this is, and, and I watch all these people getting all apeshit over Hillary Clinton, which is like hilarious, and Bernie, who farts dust Sanders, and Donald Trump, who is worse than the drunk down, down the block. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, are you kidding me? And these people are just hooked into this. I wouldn't want these people to run a bingo parlor. You know, and this we're going to have one of these characters become president. It doesn't matter because they don't run. You know, we always said people who run for office don't run the country. They're just poster idiots that are thrown up there for you to throw crap at. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you know, this it. Of course, you know, I, I've shared numerous times on my show about uh, Albert Pike and his, you know, letter to Missini and the three world wars and the whole idea. You look at what's going on with um, uh, the uh, Latino, Latin American immigrants coming over the border. And then you have all the, uh, the Muslims. And I'm not against either group, and I know you're not. And But it is what it is. They're being exploited and used to cripple this country and to put us into this clear uh, war mode and more dependent on the government. So it, it's, it, there's never been a time ever, I would say, in the history of this country where people need to really get closer to the Lord and, and to put their trust in him. And... Um, I know a lot of people don't like to hear that. They find that too religious, but it is these, what is self-evident to myself at this point. And I understand where they're coming from, those who don't want to hear it, because uh, I used to be that person a few years ago. So, um, And it is it is very disturbing to see. You know, you're, it's like what Jim was talking about as well, uh, all these young men and women that have fought over there in Afghanistan and Iraq and thinking that they were serving their country and fighting for freedom and he, he, there's a higher number of them coming back home and committing suicide than actually died there in the war and it was because I think it's just realization that they, they have been used and it is a lie and um, and um, and I, I think a lot of them is because we live in a, in a, in a time where the the truth about God has been taken away from the majority of, the, of this country. Maybe it's always been that way. I don't know. But uh, it certainly has been that way of recent. And, uh, you know, if you're raised by the television and uh, Hollywood and um, the public school system, the public school system, whatever you want to call it, um, there's not much hope for a person who's have so many strikes against them and they go and fight these wars. And I think about my father when he fought in the Korean War and what he went through, you know, is the Chinese were chasing him. 
and all the men that he saw, you know, the violence that he saw, the, the hand-to-hand combat, and even run over his own guys, his order to, to just keep going. Uh, oh, the living, the living hell that these that they go through, and um, it does affect men. It does affect men terribly. So, um, look, all we're saying, though, Michael and Jim, and I mean, I'm not mean. We, look, we all believe in Jesus Christ. We got that. My point is this, and that is. I look at the world through that prism. I pay attention to what it says in the New Testament especially. I don't let preachers tell me what I'm reading. I think the Holy Spirit will take somebody, I don't care what version of Bible you have, although some of them are obviously much wackier than others, but I can't believe that the Creator would leave us with a text that was fallible. Somehow, some way, whatever you're doing, wherever you're reading, wherever you are, whether you're in some kind of tree in Southeast Asia or whether you're in you know, New Jersey or Florida or Ohio, you read, and if your heart is open, you will be dealt with. I, I definitely trust the Lord for that. We've heard all the criticisms of the Bibles about how human beings wrote them. We understand that. We're not going to go into that right now. But my point is this. We know what we have to trust in. That's all we can. And to go ahead and paint the United States as some Christian-loving country is baloney. It's been propaganda since 1776. These are secular constructs that like to bring in things that will make people feel better with it. I would contest, and I mean, I've talked to you about this, Michael, and Jim, we might have talked about this before. The public school system had the Bible in the school so they could equate whatever the the country did with Christianity, which means if we want to go and blow up some more yellow people, God wanted us to do it. And here we are. You know, there's something wrong with a country that fights for a hundred years. There's something wrong with a person who can do nothing else but fight. We call that person a sociopath, right? Or or a, a psychotic. And yet our country, in the name of being the defender of and the policeman of the world, have been involved in all kinds of intrigues that have cost lives. And what, what did Jesus say? about killing for any purpose. No. But, who's Jesus? Let's forget about that. (laughs) And here we are. So here comes, I mean, we're coming to a point where we're going to be in serious trouble. I mean, we always talk about about persecution, but we talk about it like it ain't going to happen in my lifetime. Well, guess what? It may. It may. And you know, Jim, and you know, uh, Michael, that, you know, this child is getting out of the East I'm not saying I can avoid everything. I just need to go to a place where I can make a stand quietly, and when it comes, it comes. But I have no, I have no delusion whatsoever that I'm going to leave this earth in peace. And it's not because I'm going to get radical or shoot people. It's just because I know that I'll not be left alone. And that's what all of you have something to look forward to. And that is no matter what happens or whose party's in control, you will never be left alone again. Check out yeah. Orwell. He got it right. <laughs> and you know, uh, I talk about you know, for me, I mean, I look into my my life, and that's clearly uh, the Lord has been protecting me. I'm putting my my money on Him. And I have I have uh, uh, you know, people that have been on the show who think that we need to uh, be militant about this and rise up or create some new. Reformation, a Protestant Reformation, and take back the country and all that. I'm just like, uh, you know what? You guys can take keep your guns. I'm gonna 
my my weapon, my gun is my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Right. And, and this and it's been it's been working. Is my life, uh, you know, some kind of uh, fantasy or you know something that people are desiring? Uh, no. But you know what? Uh, there's a roof over my head and there's food in my belly and my son's being taken care of, uh, you know, and uh, uh, we're protected. And, you know, that's something I learned from my father. And ironically, I learned it from him, although he was not a religious man and never talked about God. But he never once, you know, after the Korean War and with his experience, there's never, I, he raised four, four children and um, lived his whole life until he was uh, 82 when he died a couple of years ago. And, um, you know, never once had a gun. Never once had a gun in the house. I understand now why he was that way. You know, he saw the consequences of bearing guns, and it didn't, it didn't solve anything. He just saw his, he saw his buddies. He, as he said, I, I know damn well, in a letter says, I know damn well better that men than myself died there. Uh, we talk about a particular day, that day, and why God preserved me, I have no idea. And that's been his attitude. And I, I respect that, and that's something that I still keep to this day. Am I against guns? No. If you want to have gun, have gun. But uh, I'm putting my faith in that. The best gun of all, and the biggest gun of all, is my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it seems to be working. And, you know, Keith, you know the, some of the ordeal that I've been going through for the past six years, and uh, here, here we are still talking, so... Yeah, and, and I understand too what you're going through as well with the uh, the mother-in-law. My my mom, my mom's been in and out of the hospital too. This month. I mean, it, lots of things start happening around you. When the closer you get, you you, you lean to the Lord. To, you know, it's clear that the devil, Satan, uh, tries to do everything he can to tempt you to draw you away from. Look, when, uh, when people when people have the feeling that you know they have a thousand days. And thousands of days to waste. They're right, for the most part. But the point is when, you know, like the song says, life gets awful precious when there's less of it to waste. I mean, I got into the conspiracy thing because I knew something was wrong. I knew it from when I was a young kid. Yeah. And, you know, in, in 2001, I picked it up 50 years later to see, because I needed to know what the real deal was. This is really a part from my relationship with Jesus Christ. However, when I got deeper into it, I realized that scripture was true. And I understand, I mean, I'm not even talking about all the ones who, you know, who, who denigrate, I, I get it, man. I understand all that stuff. Let me tell you, it's, it's horse will. The point now is, and, and Jim Kosher knows this himself, and so do you. It's a serious situation, and we're, we're moving more and more toward a time when it's going to get extremely, extremely, painful. I'm sorry, that's just the way it goes. Am I a pessimist? Well, no, but I'm a realist, and I think I have this accurately stated. So all these people who are involved in this 9-11 stuff and all this Patriot stuff are mostly people who have too much time on their hands, or in some, I'm sorry to say, but in some way, shape, or form, or a little bit, you know, three bricks shy of a load. This is serious. <laughs> we, we all know it's serious. But the thing is, there is no earthly solution. I wish there were, but it isn't. I'm not going to get into it. I've said what I've said. Um, I've had a following, thank goodness, that were people that were pretty rock beds, you know, intelligent about what's really important. 
And when you follow that through, and let's face it, the informer had a lot to do with that. Montgomery had a lot to do with that. And it put us on a course where you realize, you know, this is the way it is, and it's going to be kind of tough to win. Uh, probably not, but there is a way you can navigate this through. But it's not going to be easy. But everybody thinks, like, the sun's going to shine, the cavalry's going to come, and everything's going to be all right. And like I said, you know, Americans have been propagandized through film to think that there's always going to be a happy ending. Uh, there isn't. Uh, you know, Jim realized he came to his epiphany through that experience in 2001. I did after the fact through things I learned. You did too, Michael. Gordo did. These other people who just want to believe that the Constitution, they can figure it out right, they can get some kind of solution. It's not going to happen. I have people to this day get upset with me because I can't tell them that being a sovereign citizen is going to get them out of anything. <laughs> Come on. Read the New Testament. Just if you do the four Gospels, you understand what Christ was trying to tell you. You're not guaranteed any rights on this fetid planet. <laughs> You're not. It just mm -hmm. isn't the way it is. All right? Get over it. You know, I mean, but I'll tell you, I'm facing a loved one's death. It makes me reflect on my own. And I'll tell you what, when you get close to that, you realize just how foolish most of this stuff is. Again, life gets awful precious when you have less of it to waste. And I'm telling people out there, Forget all this other crap that you see on the websites. You better get straight about what exactly is going to happen and how pragmatically you're going to navigate yourself through it. And that's one of the reasons why this child is getting out of Dodge in two months. <laughs> so am I, am I okay when I get to where I'm going to? Of course not, but at least it'll be more palatable. <laughs> so. Well, it sounds, it sounds where you want to go. It sounds very much ideal. Um, you know, I would like to read a little bit something to you to, to – I've read this a couple times now in the past couple of weeks on my show, and it's at the back page of all things of the <laughs> uh, the Vatican Jesuit global conspiracy. Anyways, hold on a second. Sure enough, somebody will call when I want to talk. Okay, here we go. This is Inquisition in America? Question mark. Inside the House of Representatives are two bus. Sorry about this. What the Let heck? him on. Oh. What the heck? Let him on. I don't know. Okay. In, in, inside the House of Representatives are two busts of two Roman Catholic popes. I don't know if you gentlemen knew this, but think about this. This is a good, some, some very good, powerful symbology of the precarious situation we're in. Once again, in the House of Representatives, we're supposed to be separation of church and state, supposedly are two busk of two Roman Catholic popes. Not just any two popes, but the two men responsible for uh, founding the Great Inquisition, a movement unlike any other horror recorded in the history of mankind. Worse than the Holocaust of World War II, for it gripped all of Europe with terror for nearly 600 years. Yet, in 1949 and 40. And 1950, a series of reliefs uh, portraits over the uh, gallery doors of the House chamber were added to the interior of the U.S. Capitol that were intended to depict, quote, historical figures noted for their work in establishing the principles that underline American law. Think about that. Men like Thomas Jefferson and George Mason are to be found on that list. 
which makes sense to most students of history. And with them are a host of others, at least some of whom seem acceptable. But in the midst of this collection, we find Pope Innocent III, and with him, Pope Gregory IX, two of history's most wicked figures, arguing that these men truly influenced a, go a government that is dedicated to the cause of human freedom requires a twisted imagination. And I just want you to leave you with that because that's something really to think about. And you know, it's not being Roman Catholic bashing, but let's think about it for a moment. To the most wicked men in the history of mankind, bus or there, well, in the House of Representatives, you know that's mm -hmm. a, that's a little disturbing, don't you think? Yep. But uh, Jim, do you remember I, I sent you the link just now, and I sent it to you, Michael, about how this is supposed to be such a Christian country, yet we are absolutely tattooed and infested with occult symbolism. And I just sure. said to you both, in the Capitol Rotunda, uh, the apotheosis of Washington, and you can see it for yourself. I just sent you the links. Anybody else can take a look. And here in this con uh, Christian country, in the, uh, in, in the dome, you'll find paintings of every occult figure that there could be. Minerva, Neptune, Jupiter. Okay, this is in a Christian country. I don't mind that it's there. Just don't call this a Christian country. And that's what we have. It is a country that is completely sold out, like the others, to save. And that's the way it goes. You know, so, I mean, it's it's all, and I, and I told Jim the other day, I said, take a look at the movie Reds, where they ask uh, John Reed, who was a socialist in America, a writer, who really believed in the platitudes of uh, the Bolsheviks. And uh, when he was asked at a dinner what it was all about, you know, what the Bolshevik Revolution was all about, John Reed got up and he looked at everybody and said, profits. And he sat back down. Everybody's like, huh? That's what it is. They only throw patriotism at you when they want to kill your ass or tax you more. Patriotism is simply for the government to make you think that it's all about apple pie, uh, red painted barns, big, you know, big American flags and, and beautiful sunrises and sunsets. Will you stop, please? So, I mean, and it continues and it's to this day. I mean, how long can you go ahead and, and do the same things without better results and consider it sanity? Now, Jim, you know, I, we, we talked a lot about everything. We, we did not mention, as we should, are you still selling the DVD Tuesday morning in September? I, I still I still have it available, um, Keith. You know, if anybody would like a copy, I, you know, certainly. Uh, I do, and you can find a link on a, a blog Tuesday morning in September if you want to Google Tuesday morning in September. You'll find a lot, a lot there. With a, it'll be a blog where you can actually purchase the DVD, and I have it at a nominal price. You know, it's not anything that's going to break anybody, and um, I'll mail it right out to whoever wants a copy of it. And it's a good, you know, good copy too. It'll be something that uh, I'm sure will be useful. And I, not just useful for the reasons we've mentioned, but I, there's another reason. It's a, it's a paradigm of that day that is lacking because uh, the paradigm of 9-11, yours is different, Keith, and Michael, yours is different too. We're all, we all, all have a different experience from 9-11. But one thing we have in common, Keith, maybe you don't because you were walking around that day, is the media's influence on us that day, that kind of witchcraft 
that was set afoot. If you want to talk about evil, I don't dwell too much. I don't talk about the occult too much because I've been through my share of spiritual battles, horrendous, the horrible, in the name of, in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus. It's been, I've had some rough road. Um, but, uh, you know, that, uh, I, I think that there was, uh, w- that, that, that's what we can call witchcraft, you know, as far as the media. The media experience, the media, the way they influenced, you know, everyone, they were a puppet, you know, used by our government, you know, to um, to set things in place so that uh, everyone would be in lockstep for whatever, you know, whatever our government, government decided to do. There was a, it was a not even questioned. Um, and, uh, I'm sorry. No, Maybe I, went no, on I mean, I just was... Um, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to... No, 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 on. no, I'm the one that stepped on you. Don't apologize. <laughs> you're, you're never this polite other time. Stop. Um, no, but Michael just put up uh, a link to uh, the blog spot where I guess uh, the, the DVD is available. Um, thank you, Michael. I Thank you very much. I appreciate that, and I'd be happy to share that with anybody who's, who's interested in it. I, thank you very much. And thank you, Keith. Well, thank you. Um, hey gentlemen, what's can we, are you willing to stay on a little bit? And uh, but I'm going to end the recording because we're close to three hours, and that's probably long enough for some of people to hear it. Um, but please stay on. And if anybody, if you're right, gentlemen, anybody who's in the guest who wants to call in, would like to talk. Uh, most of you, right. you, most of you are, yeah. are trust, trustworthy folks. I'm sure you know. <laughs> Uh, as far as comments and talk, so I'm just going to end the recording. But let's just chat for maybe five, ten minutes and see what happens, sir. All right. Before you go, let me just say that Jim and I have come through a couple of years uh, where he gone through a progression also about the worth of the DVD. I don't. I have no problem that he's selling it. When he first sent it to me, uh, when I saw the raw DVD, I mean, it was it was really something else. It is legitimate, unrehearsed reaction by a human being no different than any of us to something that was going on without precedence in anyone's lifetime and who had a loved one that was in the middle of it and i'm not saying this whole thing is like some kind of melodrama it's not but you'll never see a reaction and just gut gut reactions all the way about what was taking place as you see with jim and anybody who goes ahead and wants to access that You'll find out that what I'm telling you, what Jim has told you, is correct. He's not bogus. You have to believe somebody sometime, and I'll tell you right now, there are some others who are much more legitimate than others, and I've not seen anybody ever attack with technological proof his video. They just want to dismiss everything. And believe me, I went through this without Jim knowing it with some people who gave us nothing at all. And like I said, for a lot of reasons... It's a very emotional, it's a one-time-only kind of situation. And I, I would think, and I'm not soaping this thing up, it's a timepiece, if that's the kind of thing you want to hang on to uh, for subsequent, uh, subsequent generations in your own family. I, I'm serious. It just, it's not going to, you know, well, there'll be something else to take its place, but nothing like this right now. So, yeah, Michael, I'll hang out, Jim. I don't know what you have to do, but thanks a lot for spending this time. It's been a long time since we last spoke in depth. And I hope that it's been kind of cathartic for both of us and also uh, uh, healing. Yes, thank you. Uh, once again, Keith, uh, Keith has an AKA at Visigoth. Uh, you can find his work on thinkwaybeaten.com. And then once again, Jim Kosher, you could find uh, you well, Tuesday morning in September. 
as we mentioned, the DVD. And uh, it's been very, very thought-provoking. And uh, yes, <laughs> makes you want to think of what's really important in life, you know. God yes, and our sir. families. So with that, I'm going to end it. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.